Hi, I'm Jim. And I'm David. And this is the Practical Guitarist Podcast. The podcast for people who eat, sleep, and breathe guitar. The Practical Guitarist Podcast is brought to you by Great Lakes Guitar Pickups. Great Lakes Guitar Pickups provides fantasy tones at prices a practical guitarist will love. Featuring top-notch construction, attention to detail, and a fully custom product, if you can dream it, Great Lakes Guitar Pickups can probably build it. Follow them on Facebook at facebook.com slash Pickups. Are you a regular listener? Why not? David here reminding you of all the ways you can participate in the Practical Guitarist Podcast. Subscribe using your chosen podcast app. Review us on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or Google Play. Find our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash practical guitarist or on Twitter as at practguitarist. Support the show. Merchandise is available in our Threadless store at practicalguitaristpodcast.threadless.com and donate to us via Patreon available at patreon.com slash practicalguitarist. Reach out to us directly via email at questions at practicalguitarist.com. Good evening, Jim. Good evening, David. Uh, nothing is happening with either of us right now. <laughs> no, yes. literally, literally nothing. Um, <laughs> yeah, a it's lack been a, of things. Well, I had a car accident yesterday. Oh, did you? Did you total it? No, no. Just oh. some woman pulled out in front of me. Here, I'll show you a picture. It was um, uh, she uh was in a lane, like in a uh, parking lot of a gas station and mm-hmm. then there was a lane of cars that she would have been in that was like stopped right just a line of cars and i guess she wanted in my lane which was the left lane um and what happened was she came out and uh i tagged her Ooh. tag you're it yeah no shit but I, it wasn't my fault working, she, right <laughs> no this is all it did to me yeah like a little ding scratched up yeah that's her that's me it's just scratched up on my thing so yeah what are you gonna do so um i guess maybe i should share some of my open mic experiences maybe we can sort of talk about something that happened to me and do it thinly veiled so that no one gets their feelings hurt um and i may be misreading some of the interaction there too but um i went to an open mic on wednesday night here in the the area and uh, it was an open mic jam, right? So I go in mm-hmm. and I, I have all my gear and they know me. Like I've been there multiple times. Mm-hmm. Um, so I get there super early, right? right. And and I, I guess I should just break the whole like the whole open jam situation down there. So you show up. If you've never been to an open mic or an open jam, usually the host comes up, they play two or three songs, and then they start getting people up to play. Um, the place where I'm going right now, I'm, I, I don't know if I'm going to keep going there. I like some of the people there a lot, like the people that run it and stuff, but mm-hmm. I don't like the way they're running it, which is right. they have a house band that comes in and at like 10 o'clock and they play for like 40 minutes. And I'm oh, sitting there going, so I'm there at 730, right? It's supposed to start at 830 to 9 o'clock. It never starts on time. It's always 915, 930. 
that's the host comes up, right? They play three songs and then they bring up the first band to play three songs. And then they bring up that house group or the, the featured act. And then they play for 45 minutes. So even though I'm there before everybody, but the host, there's four bands on the list already, which mm-hmm. is ridiculous. And then I have to wait until like 10 30 or 11 o'clock at night to get to play. And I mean, it's usually okay. I mean, like there's usually still people there and stuff when I play, but it's just, it's too much of a hassle. And I don't really particularly want to sit through every house band. I don't mind supporting local musicians or the, the featured act, but I don't mind supporting local musicians, but some of the featured acts they've had have been pretty bad. Um, and the end or uh, thematically like not in line with what I want to hear. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and to put it mildly, like the, one of the bands that played there makes uh makes steel Panther look, look like choir boys. I mean, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and it was, and it was like to the point where it wasn't even like funny anymore. It was just gross. 40 um, year old dudes like half bald thinking they're punk rock playing songs about, you know, their wiener for, for lack of a better word. Like this is ridiculous. Like that. I don't want to watch this. Um, so the first night it was there and I saw that band actually, um, the new house band showed up, which is like for the, the host band basically. And, um, they were playing by themselves. Uh, I won't reveal their name. I won't reveal who they are, but I got to see their rig and like, they played okay, but they played, they, they were playing doom metal. So their songs were all like 15 minutes long. And instead of them cutting them off after two songs, they let him play a, a third song. So there's 45 minutes there. Then the, then the feature band gets up. They play for 45 minutes. So this is this is setting up the interaction from the other night. Okay, so I'm kind of like on the fence about whether I want to go back. And I'm like, you know, I'm going to go back. I, I know some of the people there. One of the guys there, I'm, I, you know, I consider a friend of mine. And um, so I went back. And um, I was sitting there and... I see the house band is the ba- that that doom metal band from before. They're not the featured act, but they're mm-hmm. the like the house act, right? So when they walk up to me at eight or eight forty five nine o'clock and they ask me, "Can we use your amp?" I'm like, "Huh? Okay. Uh, Good timing." Well, first off, Jim, I'm sitting there thinking, like, "Can you pilot a rocket ship?" Like, yeah, exactly. Um you're welcome to use it. I'll set it up for you. But then I started remembering like him kicking the pedals off his pedal board and jumping around and slamming his uh, Epiphone Les Paul headstock into the drum kit and some of these other things that were going on. And I'm going, I don't know that I want to put my amp up there. So I just, I'll just, I'll just rock guy. No, he's a doom metal guy, but they were really into it. And it's, you know, I, I get it. Like people, people get excited on stage, whatever. So um, I go up there and I start setting up the Kemper to help him out. And I've got it like right over to the edge of the stage. Cause I know I got to give him as much room as possible. And yep. um, I'm kind of like standing in the corner. So as soon as I get it going, I'm asking, I was like, well, what kind of sound do you want? He's like, well, I play through oranges. I'm like, I don't have any orange profiles. He's like, well, can you make it sound like an orange? And I'm like, I can give you like a Marshall or something like that. I mean, that's, that's just the extent right, of right. I'm going to, I'm going to be able to provide for you. Well, I want it to sound like my orange. Well, then you don't uh, have, it. I don't have it. You should have so, brought your orange. Well, at this point I'm starting to get, I'm starting to get kind of frustrated because I'm setting up my gear in a pinch for somebody else 
right before they're about to take the stage. Nobody said anything to me. And then he's sitting there demanding, like, no, I want my sound from my amp. Well, you should have brought it. Okay. And that's what I brought yours. I immediately spouted that off to him. I said, why didn't you bring yours? And he goes, mm-hmm. well, it's too big for this room. In which case, in which case, I'm thinking to myself, then maybe you should sell it and get a smaller one. Like, I didn't say that out loud, but I'm thinking like. Yeah, you, or get a break or something. Yeah. You're the one that's going to go around with a hundred watt orange and play in a little bars. Like, the, <laughs> because, because that's what your sound is. You're full right. of crap. Okay. Right. First off, you're full of crap. If you really believe that you need a hundred watt head to get, to get your sound in a, in a bar, you're full of crap. Okay. Especially with the stuff we have today. That's ridiculous. That's absolutely insane. So then it, it, this goes on and um, I'm getting him set up and I'm like, I, he gives me two cables and I'm like, what's this for? He's like, I need you to plug this into the effects loop. I'm like, I just stood there for a minute and I was just like stunned. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> effects <laughs> loop. I mean, the Kemper has an effects loop, right? But I don't. Right. Use right. It. So I'm like, you're asking me to make this more complicated than I even like use. So I get it. I've done, I've used the effects loop on the camper. So I sort of know how to do it. I plug it in and I go over there and I turn it on. And of course we do yep. a test and everything works. And he says, well, that doesn't really sound like my amp. And I said, I haven't even dialed it in yet. I, you know, so yeah. what I ended up doing is I got a mid gain Friedman patch and I boosted the mids a bit and I cut some bass and I cut some treble. And then I just kind of left it. And I was like, this is the best I can do. And he played a little bit. And he's like, yeah, it sounds great. And then he wa- I walk off stage. Um, so I walk down the ramp around the side of the stage. I'm standing by the by the stage. And I'm standing there like looking up because I'm going to watch my Kemper the entire time I'm there. And uh, not because I think it's going to get stolen or anything like that. Um, but because I don't know what's about to happen. Right. right. So they play right. their four songs. Um, and then... Uh, they, I noticed during the set he's having problems hearing the Kemper because it's it, basically the mix is not great on stage. And um, it, it's very clear to me that's what's going on. And he's, of course, you know, giving the thumbs up to the sound guy and the sound guy's adjusting when he can. And um, so anyway, he gets off stage and he comes over to me. And he goes, because it's always weird playing through somebody's rig. And, and somebody it else, is. Somebody it else's is. rig. And I was like, oh, yeah, for sure. Um and and like I wouldn't wish that on other people either, but it's like, dude, you you could have brought your own amp, like what? Because he's lazy. That's basically what it is. I'm just going to borrow somebody else's. There yeah. is so, for lack of a better word, there is no house amp at this place. Yeah, you know what the house amp is when it when it's there. The house amp is an eight inch rolling cube. Here's my problem. He's like that guy to come, that came to a party. Now I don't know how many beer parties you did in college, but. He's that guy that comes to a party and is like, oh, man, the only thing you guys have is Coors Light. I yeah. like this kind of beer. Dude, 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 dude. Well, then so, go buy your own what, beer. What kills, me, <laughs> what kills me about the scenario, right, is he shows up with a full pedal board. You've got your yeah. pedal board. You've got your nice guitar. But yeah. you're missing a critical component here. Yeah, the and, output. The so sound. What was he going to do? What was he going to do? So is it, was he planning on plugging into the little eight inch uh, rolling cube there? Because I've heard that thing mic'd up and it sounds like, butt. it sounds like the biggest, ugliest, butt you've ever seen a butt, total, with, hair, total. A butt with hair growing out of it. Right. Um, and, um, <laughs> they mic it up, but I mean, it's, it, it's a, it's a scooped mids thing and it sounds tiny. Um, and it, you know, 
I mean, I get it. Like if you if you show up and it's your first time and you maybe didn't bring your stuff because you didn't know what the what the scenario was that was there for um, that night, it wasn't there and nobody knew where it was. So anyway, long story short, he comes up to me afterwards and he basically says that I don't think the camera's very good. It doesn't feel like a real amp. And I'm kind of thinking like, no, it doesn't feel like your amp, which is the problem. And um, I don't have that. It would be the same as why would I have talking? profiles of your specific rig? You know, like right. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, it was just it was just a strange, strange interaction with this individual. And then, of course, I get up and play, and this is the second time this has happened where he walks around the venue like not paying attention to anything else but himself, and, and like very much His so. Where is he? Like everybody else is watching him. And it's, I was like, whatever. I don't, I mean, I don't he's, care. You don't want to watch me go out, go out and sit in the parking lot. I don't care. Yeah, I don't care. He's, he's egocentric. It's, there's, there's nothing you can do about that. Or yeah, anybody can do about he was, that. He he was, was, he's very much the guy that stands in the back of the room with their arms folded. Right. He is like, that guy, that joke that everybody tells. The really bad version of that joke. But anyway, yeah. um, I got to play with his bass player, though. And that was funny because his bass player really liked me. And I have a feeling that did not sit well with him. <laughs> <laughs> I got the feeling based on an interaction between the two of them when he came off stage. I don't know exactly what was said, but it was it was a weird like it was a weird moment between the two of them. Um yeah. and uh whatever. I don't care. Like I'm not looking to recruit that bass player or anything. It's I'm just there, you know. I'm there yeah. a lot. I'm there more than they've been, Frank, quite frankly. Um so um I don't know. I'm not worried about it. Like I may go back. I may not. It's a Wednesday night thing and I do a Tuesday night. So it's literally back to back, which makes mm -hmm. it really difficult to get up on Thursday. Um, and I've been toying with the idea of doing one, one every other week, but I think actually I'm more than likely going to, and for everybody who knows um, the Tuesday night is even flow out in Geneva. I'm probably more likely to go to even flow um, more regularly than go than to the other, because even, even flow based on my interaction there has been a more happening place. They've got better artists, different artists, more right. of my genre, more mature artists, which are people that are like, for example, I was in there the other day and there was like, there was like a bluegrass band and there was right. like, um, there's a bluegrass band. There was a, a cover band in the beginning who was playing, um, they played Steely Dan songs and stuff like that. Wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which, we, and they were good. So at a good it. cover band. And yeah. they were good at it. Um, which actually that was really cool. Cause the other night I slayed that place. Um, I killed it till it was dead. And, that, and the, the guitar player from that band came up to me, his whole band came up to me. It was like shaking my hand and like asking me all these questions. And he comes up and he says, uh, the, the main guitar player, he says, I've been teaching guitar for 20 years. And he's like, I've never seen anything like that. He says, why are you not playing in front of like 10,000 people? And I said, because not 10,000 people want to hear what I do. <laughs> <You That's>, <laughs> so, yeah. 10,000 well, people on earth interested in that. Um, but I'm sure that at some point, Joe Bonamassa said the same thing. I'm telling you. Uh, well, I mean, it's fine. I'm going to continue to do what I want to do because I want to do it. You know, like I don't really, yeah. I don't need the praise. I'm not, I don't go into these clubs looking for it. Just like the guy with the arms folded. Like I'm going to play if he's not there. I don't care. Right. I mean, you stand in the corner and it's Danny Rabin. When, when he was on the show, he, he said it best. It's like, well, at least they're paying attention. Like if they're looking yeah. at their phone, that's right. That's They're paying attention. Like I would rather have people hate me, yep. and hate what I do, and ask me to leave. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, than to be completely they, apathetic. Um the the uh, yeah the the guy saying that what he did. Um, I could see you doing Steely Dan tunes. I could see you pulling off. I, I the, used to play like um, 
some Steely Dan stuff. I used to play. Yeah, roll, uh, roll in the years, I could see you doing that. I think I played that one. And I used to play um, uh, Kid Charlemagne. Yeah. Oh, that's an awesome song. Yeah, Kid that's my, one of my favorite songs. In all time the- favorite songs of all it's time. Not just Steely Dan. It's got some good chords in there, too. Um, yeah. So, but uh, I mean, I don't know. Like it was, it was a cool scene, and it, like every time I go in there, it's been a different thing. It's not been like the same thing. It's more like the one month, one night a week feature open mic jam thing in the area. When they have that, different people come out. I don't see the same yep. people every week there, which is cool. Um, and then of course I'm getting invited around from people at my regular Tuesday. They got canceled. Um, I'm getting people calling around from that, and like you should come up here. You should yeah. come up here, and like these are all things that are going to happen at some point. I'm just um, right now I'm working on writing music. That's a big, a big component of this. I've only got enough songs for maybe a 35 minute set or a 40 minute set. Um, it's not going to take me much to get to 60 to 120 or 130 minutes. Like I'm right. I'm pulling stuff out. Like almost every time I pick up the guitar, I'm like, man, I wish I had a recorder sitting here because there's you know new things like happening. And I don't know if it's just because I'm playing more, or if it's because I'm thinking about how the audience would perceive something, but it's it's unlocking a lot of stuff. Um, in fact, I wrote a song. See, what the hell was that? Oh, <laughs> did apparently. you hear that? Yeah, something fell over my, or something. Yeah, my gun is my gun is put away. So <laughs> I don't think it was your gun. Neighbor's gone, maybe. Yeah, possibly. Oh, I didn't sound like, it sounded like something metal fell over. It did. Like, it probably whack. it was probably like a music stand or something. Now, doo, 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 now I'm looking around with the guitars and rang it behind me. Yeah, no, nothing fell over, over here. here. Like if it had fallen, I just said something. It might have yeah, been, like, been something like a magazine hitting the floor. Or, um, oh, you know what? That might have been it. Yeah, because because uh, I was looking to see if all your strings are still sitting up there. Yeah. Um, so I got my string cleaner right there. Uh, did I have the P90 guitar last week? I did get gear this week. Yeah, yeah. Because I ordered Talked it, but it. I didn't have it yet. Right, you did not have it. So I get it in. It's great. Comes in a hard shell case, three hundred fifty bucks. Yep. Uh, that's what I paid wow. for it for, for. That's great for an LP P90. Um, it's an LP or LG. It's, go, it's Godan, right? And yeah. um, they're they're old school body style from the from the early two thousands before they switched over to all the Strat and Tele stuff they're doing now. Um, the P90 equipped version of that guitar, I think was actually my favorite, um, mm-hmm. which I mentioned last week. And actually this one plays just like I remembered them. There's almost nothing wrong with this guitar cosmetically. It still has the plastic on the tuners. Um, Isn't that crazy. Yeah. This guitar is well over, you know, 10 years old. It's probably yeah. sorry, closer to 20 years old. It still has the plastic on the tuners, which I was starting to take one off and I was like, no, wait a minute. Like this guitar is old enough. I'm not taking that off. I'll just, right. Leave. Right. Now um, it's. It's part of the guitar. Yeah, so uh, it had the original nut on it. Uh, it needed a setup, so it's actually at the shop right now. I played it. I got it playing decently, but it was got, it had a lot of fret rattle, and I know I can right. get the action better on it if I have somebody set it up for me. So I, I uh, yeah. took it over to Good Time Music, and, and Jimmy over there is gonna uh, gonna uh, bang that one out for me, and hopefully, uh, um, hopefully it'll be a killer guitar when I get it back. But man, it sounded good when I had it. So I am it, it, it acoustically loud. Like I lucked out. This is an ugly guitar. Um, I mean, the the uh, the body is like two pe- completely different looking pieces of mahogany, and and there's like a line right down the middle. And I was looking at it. It's like one of them looks like it's cross cut, and the other one, it was like, what, the, what were they doing when they put this thing together? Um, 
but it rings out like super loud for for a, a mahogany body guitar like that. And it's got a, I mean, it's got some mojo. I, I definitely I'm looking forward to putting uh, Nick's pickups in this to see what what it can do. Um, mm-hmm. I know the Seymour Duncan's in it are great. Um, I'm looking forward to giving these away to a listener. Don't think that I'm going to be upset by putting the stock pickups back in this guitar, but right, I right. do think that the Great Lakes guitar pickups will probably be an upgrade. We'll have to wait oh, and yeah. see. Um, I mean, it's it's nice. We're going to get to throw them down against you know Seymour Duncan's, which are pretty widely regarded as being like some of the best pickups you can get. So yeah. um, stay tuned for that. That's going to happen in the next couple of weeks. The Telecaster giveaway and uh, Great Lakes guitar pickups giveaway for the Telecaster. Um, I mentioned last week we were going to we're going to start the uh, the three week timer. When this episode airs, join our Facebook group. The details will be the um, status message. So just keep that in mind. I, I wanted to announce that now so that I'm I'm you know committing to it. Um, yeah. But if I don't have a Wednesday night, it's going to be a lot easier. So <laughs> I got the uh, so I got the first video today. Yep. You got the same one. Good. Right. So, um, I don't know. I'm lots of things are happening. It's getting exciting. We're still waiting to find out if gear fest is going to go on. Obviously COVID-19 is screwing up everything right now. Uh, There's, there's a lot of talk that, that it won't. Um, I've been hearing some things, uh, um, being in, being with the coast guard and, uh, friends with, with other companies, you, you too, you, you have large, uh, uh, companies that you work with and um uh with with guitar center they were even saying it might not it might not get done because even though you would think that they that guitar center was like, oh you don't want to go there but no they're like we hope it happens because yeah because nobody wants to see this this well so um my wife and I actually talked about this today and I, and this may have lasting ramifications <laughs> on the industry as well but i mean we're talking about something that happens once every hundred years right now um, yeah. that this disease is, is pretty ridiculous. It's, it's the, the amount of, I would say economic fallout it's causing, um, rivals that of the Spanish flu. Just remember that Spanish flu was a lot more deadly than this. Um, we lost what, I think the mortality rate on that was like 8% or something. I mean, right. we lost like millions of people to Spanish flu. It's crazy. The amount of people that we lost. Um, I don't think we're going to have that with COVID-19. Um, but I do think that the economic fallout is going to be just as significant because I'm already hearing from various organizations that they're going to be working from home and, uh, potentially, you know, laying people off. Um, I know that business has been off, um, for a lot of companies going into this now because this has been economic instability for almost a month. And it, now it's ramping up. So one of the one of the big gaming conventions, um, uh, E three, not E three, but uh, well, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of conventions that have already been. Yeah, they're just they're they're whole companies not showing up. The South by Southwest Festival, I think, is the one in Texas that, that got canceled. Another one. Yep. Yeah, I mean, like that's huge. That's going to drastically affect their economy, and I don't think people realize what the economic fall. We could be in a recession when we come out of this. And that's yeah. what that's what I'm like, kind of sitting here watching this whole thing go down, and I'm like, look, I know people are afraid of infection, but we can't stop right now. This is going to be very, very bad for for every country, not just us, every country, and this yeah. could be potentially. I mean, 
it doesn't change the rules of who you owe and how much you owe people. Let's put it that way. And if you're one of the lucky folks has been talked to about, you know, potential layoffs or, or furloughing or any of that kind of shenanigans, like be afraid because they're not going to, it's not going to call the tax man off. It's not going to call the, the uh, bill collectors off. So. Right. What's that going to do to the guitar industry? I mean, this is why, this is why we're having this conversation. At least Uh, we're obviously talking about, you know, gear fest getting canceled, but. Nam could get canceled as well. Um, Nam could get canceled. You're seeing a lot less things come um, come shipped. Whole whole cities and and uh, areas of of China, China are in shut lockdown. down. Good luck getting um, an Epiphone. I mean, cell phones. Yeah, I mean, but but my bigger concern is long term. People are going to be pinching their wallets because they they don't know what's going to happen. Their investments are dropping hand over fist every day. Yep. And suddenly you've got a situation where People might be told to shelter in place, and you're fur- yeah. if you're one of those unlucky employees who's furloughed, you have no money for yeah. equipment. Like you're done, and this industry falls apart. All of this bubble and these boutique manufacturers who are working paycheck to paycheck and maybe you know don't have anything put away, they're gone overnight. Yeah. They're gone. Yeah. Um, so just keep that in mind as we go through this process. Um, I mean, I don't, I, I can't make economic decisions for you. Uh, you might want to hold off on buying. You might want to spend some more depending on you right. know, how you fit into the economy. But, um, yeah. And I would say hold on to things right now. I mean, I'm, that's, I'm, I'm on that side of that fence. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing. Like your, your, uh, used items are going to be worth a lot more after this is over for yeah, sure. Exactly. For sure. Um, exactly. I don't know. So I'm not like we're not freaking out here, Jim. It's our our yeah. household. We sort of well. I mean, I have asthma and I have uh, Crohn's disease, but um, which are two conditions that could potentially, you know, further uh, screw this up. But I'm only 35 yeah. years old. Like chances are, if I get sick, I can fight it off. Um, yeah. And I, I honestly, based on what I know, I suspect it's already in the general population, and that many many people have already had it, and that we're already building some level of herd right. immunity. Um, and I think right as the sun comes out and starts disinfecting everything uh, in the spring, in the summer, I think this thing's going to die out. But uh, it does not mean that the economic fallout does not continue. I mean, you could have another exactly. month of interrupted travel and that kind of thing. And that stuff all trickles down and it's just going to be a nightmare. And I really hope that everybody on the show or everybody that listens to the show is uh, is OK and they don't go through these awful situations that can result from an event like this. Um, yeah. So uh, it's like it's like uh, the economy's calling in a favor. Like you've had a really good last four years. Now we got to you know, now we're going to have to rain. Now we're going to roll you back. Yeah. You're going to rain you in. Um, so I don't know. Um, we had a listener ask us a question about uh, left handed guitars. And actually I had a guy at a, at a open jam ask me about left handed guitars. He came to me and he was talking about McKeesel. And uh, he said, you know, I got an Ibanez Iron Label. And he's like, I bought it because it's left-handed. And he's right. like, I'm a, I'm an Ibanez guy. He likes, he plays metal. So, um, but I, I kind of stopped him and I said, you do know Kiesel does left-handed models. He said, well, they do, but they cost more. And I'm like, no, they don't. They are $0 upgrade. Right. And, uh, <laughs> the look on his face changed drastically when I said that. I was like, you should, you should go look, call him up, talk to him. Cause, uh, yeah. That's the perfect reason to buy a Kiesel if you have a special need like that. Um, yeah. But as uh, 
as we were talking about this, somebody brought it up and they said, you know, um, why are there not more left-handed guitar models? And I think the obvious answer, of course, is that there are not that many left-handed people out there. Um, but I will say that there are probably more left-handed people than there are left-handed guitars produced. That is, that is a for sure. Um, and I thought we could take some time to talk about, you know, basically why this is. Well, let's, yeah. So we go right to the fact that it's a, as much as we don't want to talk about this, it's a niche audience. In the, in the math, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be the pragmatic guy here. I'm going to do the math. So they're 10%, approximately 10% of the population is left-handed. And if you were to say approximately 10% of the population plays guitar, then 10% of 10% is, is going to be your numbers. <laughs> of, so in other words, uh, one-tenth of one of a 10% is going to be, which is one. So Jim, you work at Guitar Center. Yeah. I can see where you're going with this. You work at Guitar Center. How many left-handed guitars you guys got in stock over there? Um, we got like eight or ten. Um, how many? We've guitar- got so how many guitars so, do you have in stock? Oh, Jesus, hundreds. So, would it be fair to say that the the ten percent to the ten percent ratio there is screwed up because okay, there so are far if, fewer left-handed guitars in your shop? If okay. Here's where you t- you go on the other side of it. If you were to say that we carried one of every single guitar that got made, that'd be different in the store. Where, um, all right. Let, let me give you a, let me give you an example. So I'll get a customer come in. I'm left-handed. Okay. Um, can I look at the left-handed used guitars? Sure. The problem is, as soon as you say I want to look at left-handed guitars, I'm I know. That you've just you've just whittled your numbers down to a select set subset of guitars sure. because we don't have we don't have more than one of every right-handed guitar. If I was to say we had ten of every guitar in the shop, then one of those ten should be left-handed. But we might have one of a specific kind, like we've got one Nita Strauss, and that's a right-handed. It's still been hanging on the wall since before I got hired. Okay. Okay. So I get. If, let me. I get where right. you're going. Right. So what I'm going to say is, so a lefty will walk in, a left-handed person will walk in and say, hey, I'd like to purchase a guitar. Okay, let me show you some left-handed guitars. And I'll show them the used left-handed guitars, which there will be whatever, you know. If there's that's any. Like, that's like any guitar. I can tell you right now, that that goes to righties too because they'll go on over there and, go, and they don't, they're not worried about the hand placement of the guitar. They're worried about what color it is, what size, you know, whatever. And so um, the left-handed person who should have the same uh, expectation doesn't get the same reality, right? So um, their their reality is far removed even from what we're discussing here. That's right. But I'm going to try to take that to the next, to the next thing. So now we go over to the new guitars. I got a, um, uh, a left-handed American Strat. It still sits there. And it has that. Um, and every lefty that's seen it, not interested in the left-handed American strap. Okay. Well, I I can't as as a company, 
I say, okay, well, what, what would you like? Well, I'd like a, I'd like a player strap. Okay, well, we'll order it for you. Oh, I don't want to order it. Well, then I, can. I, I, and I have the same thing with right-handed people. Oh, I want one in blue. I don't have blue. We can order you one in blue. I don't want to. I'll just wait until you get one in stock. Well, you'll wait until forever because it's obvious they don't care to send us a blue one. <laughs> and it's just, it's a random thing. Right. And um, so and for, then, for a big box retailer, yeah. your your analogy makes sense, right? Like it totally makes yeah. sense in the sense that um, as as I am Guitar Center, um, and I'm going to come at this from the manufacturer side too. So hang on, yep. hold tight for a minute. The uh, if, if I'm Guitar Center, I'm not going to stock a bunch of guitars that aren't going to move. Now, here's a problem. Right. You could have three American Standard Stratocasters. That's right. Brand new, right? Like whatever you're calling now, they're they're what the performer series or their professional series. Right. Three professional right. series strats, right? And yeah. two of them could sell right away and one of them could sit for two years. And then everybody's wondering why that one sits. And it's either right. it could be something as dumb as the color, or it could be yep. or it could be Which something often it is. Or it could be something even worse, like that guitar plays like shit. It sounds like shit. Okay, and we've all come across the dog shit version of whatever we've, you know, whatever we like, right? We pick one up and we we strum it and we go, this thing sounds dead. Like, what what is this? Um, And so that guitar sits and sits and sits and maybe nobody ever buys it, right? And then at some point, somebody's going to come through three years later from now when it's discounted. And you're going to be like, I'll pay for the discount, even though it's a piece of, you know, it's a turd. And it ends up back on reverb later. You know, um, it happens. you know, I, I've bought turd guitars before, so I know that, right. you know, that's sight unseen thing. And that could be part of the reason why somebody who comes in and looks at your left-handed guitar says, you say, I can order one. They're like, well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to obligate myself to it, to a piece of crap. Like, I don't know what, until I see it, I'm not paying for it. Um, right. and, 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 you know what? And, and I want to, I want to interject for just a second on that. Here's the other thing I tell them when they order it. If it's used... You're out. The, you are out the chip. Okay, but if it's new, you're not out anything. Sure, sure. Um, you guys don't require a deposit to order new. Nope. No. Not new. Nope. Yeah. So I've had, um, depending on what it is, and I've had Guitar Center tell me they they require a deposit up front. So I don't know if that's, uh, I don't know if that's something local or if that's or if they're not they're violating protocol there or what. Um, but I've, I've been told that before. Um, nevertheless, um, the other, the other component here is that I'm not advocating we do a 10% ratio of like all guitars produce 10% have to be left-handed. That's crazy. Right. right. That's absolutely crazy. Cause we know that there are left-handed people who play right-handed. Right? right. And, and I know I've also heard it suggested, well, there's a lot of right-handed people or lev- a lot of left player players who play righty because there's no left-handed guitars. But the reality is they're never going to be able to produce every single model in the left hand. My problem right. is that guitar center, like guitar center doesn't want to procure left-handed guitars at all because they, they want what's going to go off the shelf as quickly as possible. They're a big box retailer. It's what they do. Absolutely. They're, they're Absolutely. not trying to build a relationship, a long-term relationship with the customer. They might, they might pretend like they're trying to build a long-term relationship with the customer, Jim, but as far as they're concerned, 90% of the guitars that go in and out of guitar center are people buying the first and only guitar they're ever going to buy. That's that's why you go to Guitar Center. That's a good percentage of customers all across the board. Uh, I would I would say that that's probably a lot less likely in most mom and pops, especially the ones I visit, where they have a very niche audience and they might even have a few guys that buy pretty much eighty percent of what goes out of the store. Um, 
And I know, I know that there are, is a lot of repeat business that drives those organizations, the smaller organizations like that. Um, and quite frankly, uh, some of the mom and pop shops I visit, I don't understand how they're even in business because I know what the level of overhead involved in running a business is, and and they're not moving enough material. There's a local sto- local store um, who I think they're still in business, but I could be wrong on that. Um, where I used to have guitar work done, and the guy that the guy that did the work there he was a jerk, but um, I remember going in there and they had they had I can tell you how many guitars they had in stock because the number was so low. They had six guitars on the rack, six. Mm-hmm. They yeah. had two amplifiers in the store. And then they had a string rack and that was what they had. And then my, maybe they had like, you know, other stuff like laying around like odds and ends and junk and stuff like that that they collected or whatever. And uh, basically that the shop, the only way they were functioning was they were doing setups for people. And you want to, you want to take a guess how much a setup cost there? $140. Yeah. I was going to say it was probably expensive. So, and that means that they had a, a loyal client base who is bringing them guitars to work on. I brought my guitar there once and never again because I, the I, the guy that, that did my work rubbed me the wrong way, interacted with me very poorly, told me if I didn't want my guitar to buzz, I should buy a Gibson, which I had a Fender at the time. And I'm like, that's asinine. It makes literally no sense. Didn't follow my instructions and in how I wanted it set up. And then, and then uh, gave me a crown and polish, which took off so much fret material that I was like, wow, this guitar plays like crap now. Um, And so I was like, no, we're not doing this anymore. Um, And never went back. And and I didn't recommend anyone else go there. I'd hear other people like, oh yeah, I went over to such, I'm not going to say their name. I would, I went over there and I got work done and I, and I never said anything to him, but I was like, you're an idiot. Like in the back of my head, like you're an idiot. (laughs) You know, I don't know what you did, but. (laughs) We've got a mom and pop that when I have customers come in and the, the folks that I've worked with have literally told me, they said, you guys are so much more friendly. Then, yeah, and insert mom and pop. Um, and uh, the truth is that that they probably are a lot like what you said. There's probably ten percent of their the people who walk through that door buy most of their stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the other side of that, um, because of that, they're the only people they cater to that could care less. E- about exactly, and that's what happens. Is you, they get a very narrow focused you know bandwidth of an audience to look at right. and so and it, I, and it I, reminds me of those comic book stores you go to uh when i was younger and uh you know you'd walk in and there'd be three nerds there that knew every single um issue of spider-man right what, right. what costume they're they wore and, they, they and, know, and everything yeah. else. and they were the only ones and you'd walk in to buy a comic and it was like your dollar 25 didn't matter to them they wanted that, or however much back back then it was like fifty cents at thirty three cents. Yeah, didn't matter to them. They didn't care. Just throw your money on the counter and walk out because they they were never going to talk to you. They were going to not going to um, acknowledge your existence. Yeah, and they were elitists. God forbid if you wanted a comic book. And this is where we go back to what we're talking about right now. God forbid if I wanted a, um, an edition of a comic book that they didn't agree with, that they didn't like, because then oh no, that's that's not a good comic book. You don't know comics. You don't want that. <laughs> you don't want that. You don't want this this issue of of Batman because that's not going to be, or this Spider Man because that's not going to be the good one. As an aside, um, as an aside, I think the 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 left handed guitar analogy is perfect for this. And there is one issue I want to bring up from uh, from comics industry. There yeah. are there are if you go into the back catalog, 
in the Silver Age. And the kind of stuff I really like is like the really bizarre off the wall stuff. Like when yeah. Su- I think it was Superman. No, it was Batman and Wonder Woman. No, it was Superman and Wonder Woman made a sex tape. And uh, and <laughs> freaking, I think it was. Um, I think it was uh, who's the guy from Apocalypse? Uh, Dark Side. Uh, Dark Side uh, had a copy of the tape, and they were worried about it getting into the the public. And like that, that was an actual comic book, folks. It happened. Um, and this is there's a website where that still exists. To, 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 oh yes, yes, there are actually websites devoted to these weirdo comic books that actually oh, yeah. have existed. And this was this was like not like its own story or something. Like this was part of the regular issue run of comics. That, that's right. so like detective stuff. comics. I think that yeah. was I think that was in the mid '80s. So like right after VHS came out, and yeah. it's just like a whole social commentary thing. But um, yeah, that stuff makes me laugh, and that's that's exactly the kind of comics that I would like to collect. Is like the really weirdo off the wall stuff. Like remember that yeah. time that you know. It's and, like, that, and, and that's I what don't I'm want saying. To remember that. So if if you walked into mom and pop store A, B, or C, not to say that they don't have the same access to Fender that Guitar Center does. Sure. saying they don't. Um, it's highly likely the Guitar Center will give you a, a decent um, and I'm not trying to tout the place. I, I would think that by the way, Sweetwater, American Musical, ZZ Sounds, they're operating on that same... They're willing to do this for you. So what I say now is only related to what I know, but I can tell you they probably do the same thing for you is I can get um, that guitar in the store Right, and you can play it. You try it out. But if you don't like it, hey, who cares? But I can get you a Pow Faro, uh, you know, or a, a Maple um, player strap, which is, you know, or a contemporary vibe or classic vibe. Sorry, um, you know, seventies strap or a Tele or you know whatever. So well, here's where here's where my re- there. here's the way I really wanted to approach a topic when we started talking about. It. I don't want to disparage anybody. I'm not saying Guitar Center sucks. You want to hear that? Go back to earlier episodes where I have actually said that Guitar Center sucks. But yeah. um, which they and certain they ones, exist. Well, certain ones certain do. Ones definitely, I'm sure. certain ones definitely do. Um, yeah. But but my point is that like the 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 retail model that that store uses versus the mom and pop model is like a whole different thing. And that there's nothing wrong with Guitar Center's retail model. Like that works. And we do need a place where people can go get very inexpensive guitars in large quantities um, so that people can actually pick up the instruments so that there's a market for the mom and pop shops to grow 10 years from now. You know what I that's mean? Right. Like that's so um, I'm not going to sit and pretend like this isn't a part of the, the dirty little secret that exists, which is the truth. It is the truth of it. Most mom and pops don't sell a lot of beginner guitars um, no, and what they do not. sell does not always generate repeat business for them. So they're not going to cater to that market. And a lot of them I've been to their, their beginner guitar is 500 bucks or $450. And you know, they might have one other guitar under that, but I'll, I'll tell you what else uh, mom and pops don't have. They don't have any left-handed guitars. I have literally right. been in probably 10 that did not have a single left-handed guitar in the last year. Um, yeah. Now, good time. They do stock some left-handed stuff. Um, they don't stock a lot of it, but they do stock some. Um, because why would you stock everything? So, um, I the reason I wanted to to pick it up from there is that um, the mom and pops aren't going to make a lot of money on it. Um, realistically, 
they know that a lot of people who start playing guitar left-handed switch over to right-handed and, and vice versa. And so they, they stick with that. Um, they move into that, that territory where I'm going to play right-handed guitars left-handed. Um, but as I was saying, like what I really wanted to do was focus on this and talk about this from the perspective of a manufacturer. So if you're, if you're Fender and I'm going to use Fender, I'm going to pick on Fender because they do make left-handed guitars. They make a significant quantity of left-handed guitars. Yes, they do. Um, they probably actually make more than Gibson, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to say that because I haven't looked at the Gibson line closely enough to determine what, what they're. I, I, I would take, I would take that bet. I would take that bet and say that Fender would make more. So the way that Fender does this is they pick a certain amount of guitars that they're going to make left-handed versions. And usually it's the, they don't call them this anymore, but it usually it was the standard guitars, right? So like, Standard Strat, you can get it left-handed. Standard Telecaster, you can get it left-handed. Mexican Standard Telecaster, you can get it left-handed. Mexican Standard Strat, you can get it left-handed. In the past, they have done it so that you paid a little bit extra to get a left-handed guitar out of them. And I think that's kind of crappy because, honestly, that's the first thing I was going to point out was it from a manufacturing perspective, you're doing this on CNC. You don't need a second program in CNC to do that. You tell the machine to reverse the program. It's not that hard. You go, you go left to right or right to left. And, and in all honesty, like that's a, that's a straw man argument, hardcore. And I, I find that to be offensive that they're going to act like, well, that's where the cost is. The cost is really, the cost is really in this. They have to change yeah. the tooling out to make left-handed guitars. Like for example, your tremolo block, the, the, the plate has to be the left-handed tool for them to go in and actually stamp it. And, and that kind of stuff, which is, that's, look, and there's a cost associated with that. Um, I, I just want to say that looking at the current costs, current. Are they even? The, um, they're even. So I've always argued that what I think should be going on from the manufacturing perspective is you make all of your guitars right-handed and then your left-handed guitars left-handed, right? And of course, there's going to be an increased cost for the left-handed guitar because you don't have as many buyers to play, pay for the tooling. So why don't they just break the tooling across the entire line? Cause that's what they should well, do. And that's what well, they have done now. Instead of well, they're, they're distributing the cost evenly amongst, amongst all left and right handed. Right. You're, you're more likely to take a loss on specialized gear than you are on the other. So the, the ones that will, you know, the, the, if you make a bunch of right-handed, right? You just talked about that. I can amortize the loss of a number of right-hands that don't sell, right? Because we all know that every year they, they drop prices, so you'll buy the next one, right? Does the manufacturer amortize that loss or does the business that purchases them? Well, see, that's just it. That's a good question. But either way, um, someone's going to amortize that loss. It's easier to amortize the loss of 10 guitars over 1,000 guitars than 10 guitars over 100, 100 guitars. That's all I'm trying to say. So I, when it comes to a niche group, it's easier to, to take those losses because you are going to have losses. Whether those losses come in um, junk guitars that never leave the factory, junk guitars that get broken in um, shipping, junk guitars that get broke at the at the place that, made, that bought them, junk guitars that um, nobody liked. I mean, what is that one? Uh, the Stratocaster they're selling now and going, "Wow, this was awesome in the '80s." It was not awesome in the '80s. Nobody it was. Won. You know about it the was lead crap too? then. Are you talking about the, the lead, lead too? Yeah, yeah. 
that that's the a guitar leaves. that the, the only reason anybody likes it, Jim. We've been going back and forth on this. The only reason anybody likes it is because that guitar was good looking to some people. Um, Nostalgia. It's it, no, they they actually legitimately thought it looked cool. Oh, um, oh. but everything else about that guitar was garbage, um, hot garbage, and hot garbage. I saw the 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 Andertons video where they tried to do such a great job of of making you want to salivate over that guitar. That's the first guitar I ever saw them do a video on in a long time when I went, yuck. There was just literally yuck. Nothing, there was nothing they could do to, to polish that turd. And Philip McKnight, same thing. He was like, and luckily he didn't care what Fender thought. So he was like, yeah, no. So <laughs> we all know that the Fender agreement, the dealer agreement, and this is part of the reason why I wanted to use Fender as an example. Right. Thank you. We know that the way that the Fender dealer agreement is structured is that you have to buy a certain amount of guitars out of like pool A, and you have right. to buy a certain amount of guitars out of pool B, and a certain amount of guitars out of pool C. And maybe even they tell you pool A, you have to buy these guitars. Um, and you have to maintain a certain stock level. But there is a bigger category of stuff that you can choose to stock, right? And that's the problem here is I don't think this is necessarily a manufacturer issue. Fender is committed to making some left-handed guitars. They know that that's a part of the industry that has to exist and and they, they don't want to appear to be the evil empire. So even, it's just as PR, they have to offer it for sale. Here's the deal. I don't think the dealers want to stock them. And I think that's what's really driving this whole thing is that the dealers are like, no, I'm not even going to take that risk because okay. – before before you go down that rabbit hole, and I appreciate that rabbit hole, I I totally do, but I want to talk to something. If you go on to Guitar Center's website, you click on a left-handed guitar, pick one, don't care, and it says available for pickup in three to five business days. It is in our stock system. We have it in a store or in a warehouse. It is in our that's stock. Not, we have. That's not what I. That's not what I was insinuating. Okay. Okay. That's not what I was sure insinuating we... at all. First off, okay. Guitar Center is obviously a big company. You could have fifty left-handed guitars, and it's going to appear like you've got a ton of them. Which, in reality, there's just not a big market for them, and so they're always going to say three to five days to ship. And also, even even though they say in stock or whatever, um, I've had situations where I've ordered and it still goes back ordered because they actually are doing a drop ship from the uh, from the manufacturer, even though they pretend it's in their it's in their store system. And I've had that happen. So. Yeah, we could talk behind the curtain on that one. We have we'd have to talk aside. Yeah, because that's not something. I'll that, tell you why. That's not something that's supposed to happen, but it does. I can happen. tell you why that happens. Yeah. Um. So, and then there's more to that too, because like obviously you could have a, and I don't want you to have to comment on this, but uh, obviously somebody could buy something, uh, you know, at that has just been acquired by somebody at corporate or at the warehouse who just decided to buy it themselves, right? And so they pocketed it, and then of course. Or there's retail loss that happens too. Um, yeah, there's there's people who steal from warehouses. Things right. happen, right? But any but any major company now is doing some level of drop shipping, and that's a that's a critical component of that. Not is, everything that everybody ships out comes out of their warehouse. That you need to right. stop that thinking right now because <laughs> that's not true. Yeah, but I yeah, but I can look at the numbers on the warehouse. Sure, sure. So you can see the quantities, and so that gives you some insider information on that. But the uh, with regards to left-handed being in stock, that's not that's not going to be an issue with a company like Guitar Center because they have enough capital right. that they can stock a few. And if right. there's a small, and they don't need to it, stack, right? And they don't. Let's let's face it, they don't need to stock a lot, right? 
So Guitar Center, Center, by all accounts, makes up about 70% of the retail market for brands like Gibson and Fender. Um, And it's probably more like 50%, but but several years ago, the number that was being touted was 70%. And this was going on when Guitar Center was on the edge of bankruptcy, and everybody was kind of like watching to see what was going on. Um, Some people that had used to work at Guitar Center before Bain Capital acquired them started to talk about the deals that were going on with Fender and Gibson and why they are so brand whorish to Fender and Gibson. Right. Um, and that is because they pay the bills, right? Fender and Gibson are responsible for probably half the sales, if not more, at Guitar Center. Um, and so, and it's not just them; it's their, you know, their sister brands and and uh, the mm-hmm. other companies they're part of. It's like, for example, a lot of, of people don't, a lot of people don't realize uh, Gibson owns KRK, they own uh, Pioneer, they own all these different companies that are all part of this like umbrella of brands that get sold at Guitar Center. And, and that there's nothing wrong with that. That's part of the industry. And I guarantee you the same thing is probably true at Sweetwater, that they have certain brands that hold them up, that prop them up. Right, right. Um, so, and I wouldn't be surprised right now that Harley Benton is doing a great job for. Uh, so my guess is the mom and pops that, which probably I would say 75% of them don't stock anything left-handed. The mom and pops that don't stock left-handed are the reason why Fender and Gibson are not producing, you know, 10%, not, not I don't want to say 10%, but like, I would say like 5% of their line is not being left-handed. That's, that's absolutely, right. they're selling more like 1% left-handed or if that, if that, right. it may even be yeah. smaller than that. Um, which is why I said Guitar Center is probably the only company that's actually driving any of those sales because they're buying them and then they're stocking them, putting them in a warehouse and maybe shipping them out. Which is great because at least you can still get one if you are left-handed. Um, I just think that it's kind of it's kind of giving the industry a shaft because not everybody knows, you know, not everybody. I'm sure there are people that are left-handed that don't play guitar because they can't get a left-handed guitar. I'm I'm absolutely sure of it. Um, just as you know, ten years ago there were a lot of women guitar players who weren't going to buy a guitar because they didn't want to go to a store that was male-dominated. And so, and that's also still a thing in the mom and pop industry that women will not shop at a mom and pop shop because they know the guys behind the counter are sexist. And I have, I have definitely seen that kind of behavior, not from any of the stores I shop at, but I've seen that kind of behavior before where um, you're, when you're in the music store and the guy behind the counter looks out on the street and sees a pretty girl walking by and starts talking about it. And you're like, you just alienated your customer base. (laughs) Like, what are you doing? Um, but that's just their personality. And in the mom and pop, unfortunately the personality is King. So that's a big part of like what drives your success or, or failure. Um, but I, I, I don't know for, for, in terms of special interest groups, like I really think the left-handed market is a very interesting thing because we all know there's left-handed people out there and nobody really pays attention to it. Cause if you're right-handed, why would you care? Yeah. You know, like you're not going to go and look at that statistic and try to find out how many left-handed gar- guitars get produced. It's not important. No, of course not. Um, no, I think that brands like Kiesel or even, um, um, Bormoth, who you can get stuff left-handed, like those brands do really well on those kind of sales. And it sucks because there's a higher buy-in for left-handed people. But if you're left-handed, you already know this because you had to buy left-handed tools and everything else at some point. Right. Um, so you know that there's a, an additional cost. It's just, it's a part of your life and it sucks. There's, a, there are some things I never thought about the fact that, oh, wow, there's a left-handed version of that. I can't remember what it was I came across the other day, and I was like, oh, crap, that's right. You would want a different one for left-handed. And I don't even – it was something silly, like a, like a 
tuna can opener or something dumb like that. It was I, I don't remember what it was, but it was something like that. And I thought, that's right, I would want. And and we can take this to any industry. We can take this to any store. Let's 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 go to uh, my brother had to buy a left-handed glove when he was a kid. You know how hard it was to find a le- left-handed leather glove for a kid in 1976 or 77. Um, or um, let's say a left-handed. Um, you go to the store, uh, Walmart, right? You want to buy your kid a left-handed bat because they are different. And guess what? Or left-handed, oh, left-handed golf clubs. That's the one I was going to say, left-handed golf clubs. Yeah. You want to pay an extra 200 bucks? The fastest yeah. way to do it. Yeah, left-handed golf clubs. It's left-handed everything. I don't care what it is. Um, so, uh, and I never thought about, like, a buddy of mine was left-handed. He was writing, you know, and uh, I never thought about the fact that he had to write a certain way or the pen, which back then was, you know, yeah. and I'm sure a lot of pens now, cheap ones, you'd you'd get the pen all over the place. Yeah, because all you your hand. smear over it. Yeah, <laughs> and it's just little things that you don't think about because you're you're like, oh well, even writing, it 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 is. Uh, adjusted for the right-handed person we write right-handed you don't write right to left we write left to right this is why most this is why most left-handed people grow up ambidextrous because there are simply things that they're not going to pay more for they're not going to learn how to do it the other or in the in the improper way or not improper but the left-handed way right um and i'm not gonna so I'm not here to demonize these folks. I think, I think absolutely. I think there should be more left-handed guitars in the market. And I think you should be able to get hands on them without having to pay extra. Um, it would be nice if guitar center would add an exclusion for bringing in a used guitar that's left-handed. Um, that says that we won't charge you, you know, we, you don't have to actually take the guitar. If we bring it in, you can, you can pay a $10 transfer fee or something. Um, cause I think a lot of people would be doing that. Uh, especially if you're, if you have a very specific niche market like that. Now, Another special interest group, and this comes up because um, I was at the, um, I was at the open jam this week, and somebody had a Daisy Rock laying on the table. Um, does anybody remember Daisy Rock guitars? So Daisy Rock guitars is a brand. Uh, I don't know; they may still be around. Um, they, uh, somebody bought them. I don't know if Fender bought them, but one of the big markets bought. Them. Anyway, so Daisy Rock was a brand that was supposed to be guitars marketed for women, smaller necks. Um, more ergonomically shaped bodies for women's forms, et cetera. Um, I know everybody freaked out when the Annie Clark signature came out because, well, first off, what she said, but also because that guitar is clearly made for for women. Like that was the design principle behind it. She's a woman. That's what she's going to do. And everybody lost their mind because they were like, this has never been done before. No, it had. It actually yeah, had been done before. And that, <laughs> Daisy Rock was doing it. I wouldn't be surprised if there wasn't another company before Daisy Rock that was doing it. Um, but, but anyway, long story short is, um, women are a special interest market for guitar, like in terms of the manufacturing, the way that it's produced, they don't, they don't make guitars for, um, uh, I guess that that are gender specific, you know what I mean? Like that's not, that hasn't happened until recently, um, where they're not really gender specific, like any gender can play them, but they are more, um, I guess ergonomic for all body shapes. Um, so that they, so that they work better with, with women basically. And that's essentially what, what I'm, uh, what I'm going for here is that that's another special interest group. 
that guitar, yeah. that that guitar has is evolving to suit. And I don't think we're going to see them making Stratocasters with different contours for women anytime soon. Like that's right. just a small portion of the market as far as they're concerned. And if you don't believe me about Fender and Fender is Fender's been saying, well, women are the fastest growing era segment in the in the guitar market. And when I read this, I read, and th- th- this is not, I'm not trying to be defamatory as, as everybody knows on this show, I'm a big supporter of women, guitar, women in guitar. Um, and, and so is Jim, but, it, but everybody knows that when Fender says that, what they're really saying is the guitar market is not growing. And the only way we can grow in this market is through, is through women who are, who are the one market that we're not marketing to yet, because that's the reality of it. So then they go, let, let's let's back up. So this is why I'm going to pick on Fender this episode because they went and they said, we're going to make women guitars and we're going to have more female signature artists playing Fender guitars with signature models than than ever before this year. And then they w- went to Winter Nam, and they didn't unveil a single one, nope. which is appalling. And and I, I, if I was a female and I was looking at buying a guitar, it would not be a Fender right now. Can I, I? You know I do not defend Fender. All right. Yeah. But can I defend Fender for a second? Sure. All right. You don't have to be right, but I mean. No, no, no. I'll probably be wrong. <laughs> I'm sure I'm going to be wrong. All right. So um, I want to say one thing. I think David Gilmore said it best. While I don't think that, that I'll take I'll take the little bit of of extreme that he took this the one one extreme word, but I will say it's it's pretty close. He said that when Leo Fender invented the the Stratocaster, he invented the perfect guitar. Just stopped. And the thing about the the Fender Stratocaster, I want to say, I'm not going to say this about any other um, guitar in their line. I won't say this about Telecaster for sure. Um, body shape, style, and everything—that that's made for short people, tall people, fat people, thin people. It's a pretty universal women, guitar. Women with large breasts, women with small breasts, be, women who are pregnant, women who have never been pregnant. I mean, it's it is made for everyone. I think if you it, it, a Stratocaster will probably not not everybody will probably fit you. It's not a perfect fit, but it's a it's it's. It's like, all right, so clothes are more tailored than guitars are going to be, period. Right. Just period. Right. And, I, and I, I can follow along with that commentary. Um, right. And I think, that, I think that Gibson got it right when they invented the SG. I honestly think that the SG is Fender's Stratocaster in that, even though a lot of people are more of the Les Paul, that, that it is more ergonomic. For much broader range of people, sure, it has its flaws. Where the Stratocaster is much more durable. It has um, neck dive. Yep, has neck dive, and it has the strap pin on the back of the neck. Which right, and you can see I left mine at the back of the neck. Um, it's it's one of those things where they could they could do something different to it, but it's the closest thing I think that that sure. they did. Fender Gibson is not known for making ergonomic guitars. One hundred. Not by a long shot. Um, their guitars are pretty, but they're pretty like you have to you have to do things to make that guitar work for you. In other words, like when you play Les Paul, you have to put your arm over it 
instead of just like resting your arm against the body and yeah, it's it, part of the reason why I've never really been into Gibson all that much. One of the, one of the first people that people um, point to when they talk about Gibson Les Paul players, they go Billy Gibbons, and they forget that Billy Gibbons had a bunch of wood taken out of his guitar, and he, and then he well, you're made, talking so about the weight. You're, yeah, you're talking about yeah. the weight, and that's and, a part of it. And wait, yeah, and he and he and he, you look at the back of it, and he he choked off parts of it so he didn't have to put his guitar or his hand over it so much, so. Um, another person that did stuff like that was uh, oh, not um, uh, Leonard Skinner. Uh, what's his name? Uh, it, Collins. Okay, all right. Not Ed King. The other guy. Right? Ro- Rosington or, or Gary Rosington. Okay, Rosington. Yeah, that's what I was trying to think of. Gary Rosington, who did the same type of thing. Um, so it, those guys, I mean. If they could come it, up with it, an arm contour for a Les Paul, somebody, some builder's probably already done it. Um, you, know, you know what it's called? It's called having the guts to just, like these guys did, start shaving some freaking wood off the guitar. It's not going to kill it. You, it will kill your resale. It will not kill the guitar. Well, it, I'm just saying, like, I would like to see a factory option that's more comfortable. That's been, oh, it's been a route oh, for me with Gibson. But that's – so then that's where – Gibson is also its own special interest group because their their, yeah. their marketing is like based on this idea that you know mm-hmm. only specific players are going to like these guitars, and that's probably true. That you know, it's very true. I I don't think it's the connoisseur attitude like they think it is. Um, I think it's that's so. If any of the if any of the major brands right now are a status symbol, Gibson is it, and Gibson has yes. been a status symbol for like thirty years, thirty five plus years. Um, I, yep. Jim, you're wearing a Harley Davidson shirt. And I mean, that's the plat, the classic example of the other side of it, right? Is that, yeah, well, I rode a Harley for a while. Well, yeah, but yeah, a lot of people like Harley and like, that's, that's a thing. And, um, people who are motorcycle enthusiasts know there are a lot of other brands out there. Some of who uh, actually carry more prestige even, but the real reason people want a Harley is not just because they want a Harley, but because they want a Harley and then they can they show everyone. They want a Harley. There was and a guy show that, everyone. uh, that's the important I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you that this is a sexist comment, but it, it's extremely true. Um, so I went to I while I was riding my Harley for a few years, the um, uh, I went to a lot of you know biker rides, all these big things, Laconia, and all these other things. Um, and I was at this one, and this guy comes up, you know, and we're both on Harleys, and he says. Uh, and, and these girls come out and they're like, oh, can we ride on your bike? We ride. And then another, you know, and, and it happened over and over. All these girls wanted to ride on the Harleys. And they were just happy to ride on it. It was like, it was like you had a pony. You know what I mean? So he goes like this. And this guy came up, was there, and he was a, he was a big, really good-looking guy. He's got himself a Yamaha. We've got Harleys. And our Harleys are kind of rattier, you know. They're, and I am not exactly a sexy dude. And these girls come up and they're like, can we ride your bikes? And the guy, the big guy on the Yamaha is like, yeah, yeah. Goes, no, no, no. I mean the Harleys. And then the guy is, we're riding away. He goes, he goes, a woman is never going to ask you to ride her, your Yamaha. <laughs> That's what he said. <laughs> She's not going to want to ride on your Yamaha. And so, well, but it wasn't, but it's a stat- there was a, there was a status symbol yeah. to it. And yet, um, I'm going to be honest with you. I like a BMW a lot better than Harley. As far as the ride went, I loved the BMW better than the Harley. 
but there was no status. Even though you'd think a, a BM, now a BMW car, it was oh yeah, that's the thing, but not a bike for some reason. The, the bike is not the, is a bike. Actually, I think if you're going to go into the car realm, the the status symbol car is the, oh yeah, nowadays is the Mercedes. And the yeah. and the funny thing about the Mercedes is they're junk. They're pieces they're of junk. crap. They, they like, ride like crap. They, have, they ride they, like tin cans. <laughs> anything that happens in your Mercedes is going to put it off the road. They literally give you roadside assistance because they know it's going to have to get towed every single time that it breaks down. Yep. The radio messing up in your Mercedes will cause the car not to start. Yeah. I'm not kidding. Yeah. They, I, I've heard. they need constant valve adjustment. A factory service, dealer service, is $200 for an oil yeah. change. I was just going to say, don't don't ask for an oil change. And they and they are notorious for being like the most unreliable cars on the road. Like that's, that's it's just absolutely thing. correct. But people people with money still buy them. Why? Because they're a status symbol. I have they enough are. money to afford the seventy five thousand dollars Mercedes Benz I'm driving. That's right. That's right. It's ridiculous. It's not a great car. It's absolutely ridiculous. But You're better off in a Honda Accord. I'm not saying Gibson's that. Gibson's obviously like you can play them. Like and and there's a lot of good sounds that come out of Gibson's over the year. But the, but as far as like guitars that are a status symbol. That the first status symbol guitar you probably ever want is a, is a Gibson Les Paul with a flame top. That's right. I mean, most that's people right. like they want a burst looking Les Paul at some point in their in their playing career, and that's what they aspire to. And a lot of people actually do end up getting them, um, and a lot of people don't keep them either, because um, they have them for a couple of years, and they're like, you know what? Nobody really cares that I'm playing a Gibson. That was the funniest thing. Like, I got my SG, and I kind of wondered <laughs> like if people were going to come up to me and be like, oh, this is a nice Gibson. Nobody ever said a word. I, I, no, I take it back. Some guy did, but but it, but I don't think he understood what it was. Like I didn't think I thought he thought it was like a knockoff Gibson or something. Um, you know, I was playing one of my early. Um, I had a for a while in the early two thousands. Gibson made a studio that was called the Swamp Ash. Yeah, it was a swamp ass. I mean, swamp ash uh, Gibson. It's a stinky one. Yeah, yeah, it was swamp. Um, yeah, they go for. I, I should have kept it a little longer. They go for phenomenal prizes now. And I wanted another last Paul, and it would, and they could not sell them at the time. So where I bought them, I got it for eight hundred bucks, and that was that was a steal. Do you know, do you know who do you know who the big status symbol guitar is right now? No, not Gibson Snags. Mm. Nothing Nags does is under four thousand dollars. I yeah, and they're all glorified I, PRSs. I honestly, yeah, they are, and I honestly, honestly, outside of the guitar community, I don't think anybody knows who a, what a Nags is. No, but it's they're not. These people are not interested. Like, do you think? Do you think everybody else knows what what a Yamaha motorcycle is? Like, that's a purely community oriented status symbol. Oh yeah, well, I can tell you that a Harley definitely shouts out to people, even if they've never ridden. I, I know. I'm just saying, I'm just saying like they, I think the distinction is very similar there. You see a guitar yeah. that has an insane flame top on it and the looks of a nags. And you know, suddenly like that person's got money. Um, yeah. I, I so Les Paul's used to say that, you know, having a Les Paul used to say that when I grew up and, and that's the thing we talked about this. There well, are certain people who are going to age buying out. them in pawn shops. There are certain people who are going to age out. Oh, it was. We have a Norlin era at Les Paul, or I mean, uh, SG in the store came in. Yeah. Um, it looks, it looks 
poop brown. Mm. Walnut. Um, it's walnut. And guess what? Guess what it started life as? Cherry. It was a cherry SG. It literally faded to brown. Do they all do? Um, yeah. It, that, well, that, I mean, that era, they all do. Yeah, the Norland era. Yep, that's what I was going to say. So, <clears throat> anyway, um, one of the things that Gibson could have done early on, I mean, they did with the Melody Makers, they did it with the Juniors. They made a flat top, right? They made a, a flat version. But when that Les Paul hit the market, it it set itself aside from, you know, Fender in that they said, okay, you know what? We've got this carved top. Even though there was no functional purpose behind the carved top. Yeah, there the wood, actually was. Believe it or not, there, was, there is a functional purpose of the carved top, and that is to match the arch tops that Les Paul grew up playing. Well, yeah, that that's what I mean. That's why. What I mean, as it. far as the, yeah, as far as the guitar player in general, you could have had flat Les Pauls, and they wouldn't have known any better. But Gibson had always, like you just said, they were for the arch top class of people. So they were for the upper class, and they were more expensive. And so it was always well. Um, and that Les that, Paul went to them. And he said, "I want my guitar to look like a tuxedo." Right, which is that totally fits the Gibson aesthetic. The right white and black that was the colors, and then they came out with the gold, or well, they they came out with the gold top because they wanted a status of they wanted it to be like it was a piece of gold. And so, what was that? Like, um, Fifty-four gold tops with the with the um, rep or the tailpiece that was crappy, and you had to do a wraparound on it to get it to. And that's what we had in the group. Yeah, people pretty much everybody. People, pretty much everybody now has like. If you have one of those guitars, they've almost all got uh, retrofit bridges on them, right? Because they were those those they were so worried about the aesthetic at the time they forgot to make it functional again. It was it was aesthetic over function. It was form over function. But I'm I'm, I'm getting to something here, and that was that if you had money, it was the it was the Mercedes Benz or the Corvette at that time of the guitar. I mean, it was just that that. I'm look at me. I have so much money. I can buy a guitar that has form over function. Um, and I think that's what initially lost the customer base. The Les Paul, I mean, it, it, they dropped out for, for almost 10 years. They didn't make Les Pauls. So when you think about it, what was it? Seven years, seven or eight years. They didn't make Les Pauls. Yeah. I want to say so. Yeah. So I think it was it was 1960 they made the last uh, run of Les Pauls and then they came out 61 with the SG which at that time had Les Paul on it and there's a whole lot of reasons people talk about a whole lot of reasons there was there was one person that said that uh, uh, Les Paul was going through a divorce with his wife he didn't want any more income for her to get at which is why he had his the the contract was running out he said just take my name off it when the contract runs out and then put my name back on it when this whole divorce thing gets done. There's there's that side of it that's a possibility. We don't want to, but the <clears throat> but regardless, um, they came back and they came back with a vengeance. Um, and yet Gibson didn't really, and some people say they still haven't ever matched that fifties um, aesthetic that they did back then that that, that they uh, that they came out with. I don't think, I don't know. So I watched a video today that. Uh, What's that company? Uh, Anderson's did, 
where they were in Fender and they did a Fender. Um, yeah, I watched it. It said Fender too. USA, Nashville. Yeah. And I was excited. I was like, oh, cool. I can see. I've never seen a Fender. Um, uh, you know, uh, I was like, oh, cool. I, I can see how a Fender is made. And guess what they showed? All they showed was a custom shop. And it kind of let me down because it was, I thought the title was misleading because I was expecting to see how a Fender was made. They did show, they did show really, some of the, they did show some of the production little, line because they showed little. you where they were hanging and drying and stuff. Yeah. They don't want to show the production line because they don't want you to realize not all the guitar parts are made in the States. I mean, they're, they're, they're sourcing parts from Mexico, from China and from Indonesia, and they're assembling them and calling them made in USA guitars. It's a thing. It's been going on for, for decades now. Yeah, they, most of what they showed was a custom shop. You know, you know Again, Dodan used to make necks for the custom shop, right? In Canada. Yeah, for, for Fender's and so and, and so did Carvin at one point. Now, Carvin wasn't making them outside the States, but that's the scandalous part of custom shop. is all USA, except for the fact that you were having necks produced in Canada. What? Yeah. Um, Schechter made, uh, Schechter made stuff for, um, yes, they did. Too. Yes, they did. Yep, yep. In, uh, they were in Texas. Schechter. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and they were sourcing parts from all over the place. So, and they were, yeah, they were sourcing their parts from wherever they could get them. But it's scandalous. They don't want to, they don't want to let people know that they also probably don't want to walk you through there on camera because you'll realize some of the same employees, Work at the Ensenadas, Mexico factory as well. They they literally put them on a bus and drive them over the border to work here. I mean, yeah, well, and they yeah. rotate them in and out so that they can avoid labor laws. It's a thing. It's a crappy part of the industry, but it happens. Um, I I have told people when whenever I have a customer ask me, should I get a player or should I get a, you know, USA? Get I tell them I say get the one, play you, the like one, get the one you like, get the one you enjoy to play. Um, because when it all boils down to it, it doesn't matter what somebody else thinks, but you think what you like. Yeah, it sure is. But going right along with that, you know, that, uh, um, that aesthetic thing, I honestly think that the, that, um, like a Les Paul is a prettier, Telecaster than a Telecaster. Is it worth the money? I don't know. But <laughs> when it comes to when it comes to being a, a you know a beefy board over your body with a with a neck that's you know and Les Paul's glued in and such. But as far as the the other stuff goes, you know, I can't. How do I say this? I can't say that that if you had if you told me. Hey, I've got a I've got a um, a Les Paul or SG, a Strat and or a Telecaster, and then you'd say, "What other guitar? I, need? I don't think you need any other guitar." Honestly, I don't. But we we are supposed to talk about the future, and that's where what other guitar would you need? Would you would you want a Carvin? Would you want a um, Ibanez? I don't would think it has want, anything uh, to do with manufacturer. And well, and you know what? That's that's part of the misnomer of the guitar industry is that people mm -hmm. look at manufacturers like somehow that that makes a guitar's pedigree better or whatever. It has nothing to do yep. with it. <coughs> it has everything to do. With well, I was talking quality. about. I mean, that's. Yeah, I was talking about those in general. And an SG could be a Viper. An SG could be. Yeah, but what I, is Framus's? But nobody's looking. So 
I don't think anybody settled on what what the body for a guitar should actually be like. Because honestly, I think if you did, I think the I think, and this is not my bias playing into here, the guitar that's more palatable to the most amount of people is probably the Fender Stratocaster body. Um, yeah. And that would be the the body that you would want to use going forward. And I think actually having played Kiesel's and the ergonomic side of it, I think a Fender Stratocaster with a deep top bevel would probably be the way to go. If you if you were trying to build a guitar for all that be all things to all people, that would be the one you want because it's got the the widest ergonomics. Um, now you can see that other instruments obviously have not chosen organ ergonomics. I mean, look at look at the construction of violins. It's like one of the most not ergonomic instruments ever. Um, what about the tuba? Perfect example. There's an instrument you can't <laughs> even carry around. I mean, if you I want to learn the tuba, you buy a practice tuba, which is like a quarter size yeah. of what the real deal is. And it's made yeah. out of plastic because nobody can carry a damn tuba, um, which I that's not true either. I got I have family members that played tuba in college and and in school and they actually carried a tuba, you know, like all the time. But it's not it's not ideal. Right. Um, stand, stand up bass is another example of an instrument that. Yeah. It's like horribly uncomfortable to play. Um, yeah, a lot of people get a three-quarter plywood so that they can practice on it. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just saying, like, if you were going to – if we're going to go down the future guitar route, um, 60 Cycle Hum covered this, by the way, and I and I kind of agree with their interpretation of events, which is, like, the, the guitar would have to be able to do all of the guitar techniques that we do on a standard day-to-day -day basis. So it has to be able to dive bomb – it has to be able to handle pick scraping. It has to have the yep. right pickup combination to give you the widest variety of tones. I think it probably has to have active pickups in that case. Um, and they may be active pickups that have some sort of like passive mode. Um, they has to be, you know, the right combination of woods to be palatable for the, for the vast majority of, of uh, music you're going to be playing. So I would think, you know, something neutral, uh, an ash body, maybe, maybe uh, a maple neck with a, with a thick rosewood board on it to absorb some of the highs and make it a little bit more like a mahogany neck. Um, mm -hmm. And to have, you know, the right style of frets and all that, the bridge is, is going to be a critical component of that. And honestly, I, if you were to tell me right now, what do you think guitars are going to look like in the future? I'm going to tell you it's a Floyd Rose. And I know people are going to like lose their crap over it. Cause like, well, you can't, you can't, uh, you know, drastically tune a Floyd Rose. Look, we're living in an age where the guitar is going to be able to tune based on the output of the guitar. Like you're not, what you hear acoustically will not be what comes out of the amplifier. We're already right. there. It happens. Um, PV built a tuning system that basically is like auto tune for guitar. It changes it. What are you holding in your hands, Jim? What is I that? bought a tin. I bought a tin whistle. Oh my God, Jim. Jim. <laughs> we have to Remember when, uh, I was going to talk to you anyway on this episode. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to have an intervention right remember now. When, Jim, um, you suck. We're going to have an intervention. Remember when? <laughs> For fans of... Uh, uh, oh, good God. <laughs> Don't you ever do that on the show again? Oh. I got it. I'm working on a, I'm working on a riff. They actually have the chords. Look. Chords on the back. So you don't have to play All right. Okay. So, Jim, this is what I was starting to say. Um, we need to, we need to have an intervention for you. And that is you, <laughs> you, you are the most vain guitar purchaser I've ever seen in my life. Every guitar I've seen you buy on this show, the looks dominated why you bought it. 
nothing else nothing else <laughs> it's utter vanity I do. you know why i bought this tin whistle because it's tin no oh. i i was just saying that because oh. we're talking about vanity but no, but that uh, remember that um, TC Electronics. Yes, just was it TC? Yes, released something, and they said it's good for the tin whistle, and so I bought a tin whistle just so I could say I have one. You gonna run that through your pedal board? It, I think it cost me a dollar. Yeah, no, I'm sure. Um, I, I, I I've spent more than this on bubblegum, but um, okay. So <clears throat> the the what we were talking. Oh yeah, the the I, I gotta say something about that. Because you just you just brought up a great point, and I know you hate um, signature guitars. I do. Yep. But there's two. There's actually three people who make. Who, they don't make it. They've designed some of the greatest signature guitars I've ever seen that I've never owned. Okay. One Petrucci. Two, um, uh, Vi, and three Satch. Honestly, I think that those are three of some of the best. Um, and I know two of them are Ibanez. One is a uh, music man. One of them but, used to be an I He was the Ibanez endorsement. And he first. used to be Ibanez, yeah. And so, really, I think the future of guitar may come from Ibanez. Yeah, they're going to do headless models this year. So, yeah, I think I'm you're a, right. I'm and a I big think believer that's going to happen. I'd like to see somebody do what Strineberger did with that trans. Um, system i think the trans trim if it had been widely adopted would have become the default bridge um on every guitar <laughs> but the problem is so we were talking about that we we're tracing that back in, in uh, another group and the reason why that didn't happen was because gibson acquired them and they gutted it immediately yep. they didn't want anything to That's do right. with steinberger they just liquidated the oh, assets I, and the patents that's what they did i think that yep i think that they um, there was these 70s um, uh, conspiracy theories that someone had invented the um, combustion engine that could go 300 miles on a gallon and so on and so forth. And um, I think that Gibson did at that time, the, that was the Norland era. No, that was the uh, Jesquits era. I think Gibson did to... Um, Steinberger. I think, it was the end of, what I think it was the end of the Norland era because it was like was it the end of the like Norland 87, era? 88, Yeah. Okay, because I don't, I don't remember when the trans uh, tram. Oh, ended. well, they disappeared. I think they disappeared. I think before Gibson acquired them, but there were still the, the patents right. still existed, right? So right. they could have resurrected it, and so who bought it? No one. Right? No who one. has that patent? No one. They never licensed wow. it from Ned. If they never licensed the patent from them, then someone could reverse engineer and legally put that thing out because they've already they've they've left the, the rock. So my so here's my I'm looking at the uh, I want to see if anybody actually did. So start they did they did license it again for the ZT3, right? Which was a guitar that was short lived. It was in like I think it was like 2008 to 2011. Um, they produced yep. and they were like maybe hundreds there were I, I played one i actually got to play one it was really cool um and and if i see one come up used um it'll be it will not be a hard sell for me to be like yeah i'm interested um the the trans trim if you if you're not familiar was a double locking vibrato unit because it was a headstock you know it was like no headstock on this guitar 
um, right. that used double ball in strings. But the unique feature was because it used calibrated double ball in strings. When you when you drop the pitch, you could drop it in intervals, and the guitar would stay in tune as you dropped pitch. So you could use that and take your A chord down to an E chord, and it would be in tune. And you could yeah. actually use it for dramatic effects like that. It was the only tremolo system that could drop tuning like that. But the other cool thing about it was if you dropped it, you could lock it in place and change tuning on the guitar. That's right. Which is like, that's fantasy level crap for everybody else. Right. Even now it's fantasy level stuff. Um, There's exactly one on uh reverb. that's going for five grand. Yeah. They're, they're not cheap. Um, that's in Korea. And good, so and good luck with it once you get it. Good luck it. trying to get it in Seoul. Once you, no, but once you get it, good luck with it because the, the parts are pretty much non-existent. Um, all the parts were, were procured by Ed Roman when uh, Gibson liquidated all the parts, and he was charging insane markup for stuff. Um, I, In fact, I heard somebody tell me that one of the proprietary springs that they had was go- a spring, right? was going for like a hundred bucks. And if you wanted one, he'd say, well, it would be cheaper to just buy this LSR headless guitar I have here for you. Because then you could take it apart and put it in your Steinberger. He was a piece of work. Oh, yeah. He was a, yeah, I don't know if that's the word I would use to describe. Um, But all I'm saying is that if I was to call out a piece of of future, the trans tram, a lot of would be something that would be realistic that they could they could institute now if somebody could get that. Uh, yeah, so I don't think Gibson is licensing that patent to anyone, and I think I think that's no. going to stay that way. Um, I have heard rumblings that Gibson is going to resurrect the Steinberger brand, and that yeah. they're going to come out with metal like models, and that this will be a direct competitor for Kiesel, and that that there's they may already be actually hiring people to make this happen. Um, the other interesting thing to note about the trans drum, which I found this out recently, actually, um, there was a bridge that could actually do the transpose bending thing, right? And it, when I tell you who made it, you're going to laugh. Washburn. Oh, yeah. Had a bridge that could do that. Yep. It was called the Washburn Wonder Bar. Yep. The Wonder Bar. <laughs> I always thought, and, wow, it's, it's um, uh, Wonder Bread. <laughs> Well, my understanding is the Wonder Bar didn't work as well. Right. And that was part of the reason why it didn't do well, but also because people wanted the trans trim. And there was a time when the trans trim, people were buying it and retrofitting it on other guitars. Yep. Um, which I don't even know how you would do that because the routing configuration. I mean, that's at the time of like people retrofitting Kalers on stuff, you know, like yeah. you're out of your mind. Um but it's a it's a cool thing and it exists. And if you don't know about it, and if you ever get the chance to try one out, check it out because now you know how they work. Um, I I think you're right. I think the trans tram could have been the future of electric guitar. I really do. Yeah. Um, and it's just there's like a a bunch of things that got stacked up against it, and it could still very well become the future of electric guitar because I I have a feeling Gibson is going to resurrect the um uh the trans tram from vis-a-vis the Steinberger brand. And I think they may even try retrofitting the trans tram on some other guitars. Um, so here's, here's a thought, right? Everybody's wondering why Gibson isn't doing so hot. Um, and have been, you know, haven't been doing so hot for, for a number of years. Right. Um, we sort of know that 
Fender has been capturing a lot of the market. We know that the market goes through these periods where Fender's hot and Gibson's not, yep. and then Gibson's hot and Fender's not. Or like in the 80s, nobody's buying either one of those brands right. because they want what their heroes are playing and they're all getting endorsed, right? Yep. Um, so here's an interesting thought. Right now, Fender's on the upswing. Gibson's kind of down in the dumps. They're starting to da- drag themselves out of the abyss. Yep. Um, I I think we are starting to see a market shift where some people are interested enough in Gibson's to buy one to have it around. Um, not necessarily that, that their heroes are playing it. You know, the guys on the radio right now. Um, they're still sort of like well accepted in the praise and worship community. Although I think Fender is probably more widely accepted over there. But there is one critical market that Gibson is like just getting destroyed in right now, and that is the metal market. I mean, they're still in the process of resurrecting Kramer, um, which they shouldn't that even that shouldn't even be a thing that we're talking about the resurrection of Kramer. It should never have it should never have collapsed the way they let it collapse. Right. Um, Steinberger's in the trash. So there's your you know, there's your your competitor for um, Strandberg and Kiesel right now, Um, because and, and what is Kiesel selling? Like what what is Kiesel stock and trade right now? And I know some people say, well, they got Johnny Hilland over there. Look, Kiesel is dyed in the wool progressive music, jazz music, like ultra hardcore musician instruments. And Johnny Highland and, is country western all the way. Right. But I'm just saying that like he's like the rare exception in their lineup of of artists. You look at their artists and you'll find people like um Andy James, you know, people like that, uh, who are more like metal centric. They have they have become a boutique metal guitar company, um, very much so. And I don't think they ever weren't. Um, I don't think there was a time in the '90s where people were buying them for like vintage guitars. You know what I mean? Like they, oh, we want vintage sounds, so I'm going to buy a, 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 a Carvin California, you know, or a DC or something. Right. Um, now I look at that and they go, "This kind of interesting because even PRS has metal guys. They have like Mark Holcomb, yeah, and stuff like that." Um, they had Paul Allender for a while. Yeah. Um, and I, I look at that and I kind of laugh because I'm like, who's Gibson got in the metal community? No one. You know, no one. It's funny you say that because in the, and I'm going <laughs> to, I know you're going to say that's not metal, Jim. Um, in the early to mid 2000s, before 2010, you had a ton of people playing PRS and Gibson um, in the heavier, I'm not going to say metal, heavier music. Sure, and new metal, and new metal, the new metal period. Yeah, so you had a lot of guys that were um, from Three Doors Down. Those guys were PRS. Nah, that's not metal, band. I know it's not. I just, <laughs> um, but you are. Uh, uh, I'm just living, I'm living up to the hype. No, no, I know. You want to talk about a metal player plays Gibson? Zach Wild. Zach Wild. That's, that was my, yeah. So Zach Wild, you had um, oh, who's that little guy from like Sweden or something? He was uh, Children of Bottom. What the heck's his name? He was a li- really little guy. He played Les Pauls. I don't know. I'm looking at their artist list right now, and I'm not seeing anybody that pops out at me like that. Yeah, who the heck was Children of Bottom? So I mean, the only two people that I can see in this list um, that I would consider like true died in the wool metal guitarists yep. so that i think that metal guitarists today kind of look up to and it's funny because they're not even relevant now 
I mean, Zach Wild is one. He's not relevant. If you if you think Zach Wild is relevant, you're probably in your 40s. Okay. Um, and I'm not saying that to be a jerk. I'm just saying like he's kind of passed relevance a while ago. Oh yeah. Um, he's Zach Wild's not going to come out with a new hit record. It's not going to happen. Um, Zach Wild, Tony Iommi, which everybody in the metal community looks up to him, right? And Randy Rhodes. But Randy Rhodes was not an exclusive Gibson guy. And my understanding was a lot of the Gibsons he played were man, were, were uh, ghost built, <laughs> just like Slash. Um, not a lot of them, but there were a couple. And the, one of the very famous SGs was with the uh, twenty four frets and the. Um, are you talking about Are you talking about Randy? Or are you talking about Tony? Tony. It, it, I'm talking about Randy. Oh. And and it was just the period in which he was buying guitars. They weren't like it was better if you went private built. And got somebody to make them for you, but like all the guitars I see him po- with, like the polka dot V and all that, those were in Gibsons. I he did have the he did have the uh, Les Paul Custom, which my understanding is that actually was a real Gibson, yep. but he had a couple he took out on the road with him that were not, that right. were they were uh, ghost built. So I don't know. It who knows? The only person that would know that's between him and God and his tech, right? Um, but I'm well, just saying he like, sold their- regardless of whether they were fake or not. That sold a load of Gibsons, right? I mean, sure, sure. Um, I'm just looking down to see. It was Alex. Like, who else in their list? Yeah, Alex Lieho, Lieho was who I was trying to think. Lieho, yeah. yeah. But he went to ESP early on because uh, they gave him a lot of money. All of the metal guys left there and went to ESP. Right. All of them, even the dude from Mastodon. What's his name? Uh, oh, the guys from not Brandon Hyatt. Uh, uh, Killer Kel, Keller Kel Hiller. I, I can never say his name. Yeah, Keller. Kel- I can't Kel- say his name. Kel- yeah, I know. But but he left. Yeah. Well, that was James Hetfield left. That, that's what I was just gonna say. Hetfield. Um, what's his name? They they all left. Well, Hetfield went home. Okay. I mean, that's that's basically what happened with him. Um, but and the reason they left, um, a lot of them said that the artist relations for Gibson was in the toilet. It's terrible. And, but but I will also say this, Jim. This isn't just an artist relations issue. This is also a a uh, style of music issue, right? Like I don't think the modern metal stuff that's going on right. Like I can't see Tosin Abasi, oh no, his, no, or any of his descendants picking up a Gibson Les Paul and being like, "All right, now I'm going to play this gent thing." Um, I just don't, and I'm not saying that that music is great or anything. I'm just saying that they just don't have that that strength with that community. And the two brands that they could have that strength with that community with are in the toilet right now. Yeah. So it's like anybody's wondering what's going on over at Gibson. You should start asking yourself, what are the three biggest communities of people that buy electric guitars? That's exactly what I was metal, metal players, praise and worship praise players, worship. and then everybody else. You know, like the the you know the middle aged rockers. Yeah, and they um, and they need to get folks in those communities playing. And you know what else? What other community is is getting huge? PRS has recognized that and they are really gonna do it. YouTubers. Yeah, I know. I don't necessarily think that I consider that to be a large community. Uh, I think that's here, Jim, let me let me let me explain. So yeah, there's a lot of people that are interested in using YouTube to sell music, and that's fine. Um we we we've discussed that on the show many times. Um I don't think it's as big a community as the other categories are listed, and I don't think it's going to grow much more because I think that community is actually made up of the other communities. 
Do you know what I'm saying? Like you can tell you can totally watch and you know who's the P dub guy is when you watch a YouTube guitar player. Like you're like, yeah, that guy plays P dubs. Right. Or that guy, that guy is uh, you know, he's he's a metal dude. Right. And uh he's I, doing his channel and he's focusing on that audience too, which is usually the case. Like, um, Tone Junkie, I want to have him on the show. I talk to him. Um, nothing firm has been set yet. This is out to our listeners too. You can you you know, if you like HW, you can check out his uh his YouTube channel, Tone Junkie on YouTube. Yeah. He does a lot of um modeler focused content, specifically Kemper. Yeah. But um I want to have him on the show, but he's definitely a P-Dub community guy, right? Oh, no question. He's a good player, good yeah, player, yeah. but he's, he's a P-Dub community guy. And nobody's going to dispute that. Right. When you see him, like, you're like, yeah, okay. Yeah. I get that. And it's, and of course, like, um, another guy I'd love to have on the show, Ola England. Yep. Uh, he's a dyed in the wool metal guy. Like nobody's going to take that away from him. And, yeah. and, but these, but these two dudes have a huge following on YouTube. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, I've been working um, to get Rob Chapman. Um, Nutter, uh, <laughs> good luck with that. Yeah, another died in the wool metal guy. We t- you tell me later how much he wants. No, yeah, that's yeah, that's not. <laughs> that's not. We that's a reference to the call out culture crap that's yes, been going I know, on. I know. And Rob's Rob's <laughs> probably a pretty good guy. Yeah. I don't. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, but going back to that, the I. When you say, I think we, we see two different YouTube communities in that, um, like, I don't watch cycle, 60 Cycle Hum as much as you do. Um, only be- I don't watch it at all. Yeah, I, I have. I listen. It That's different. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I listened a while back. I, I, I just haven't had time. And I, and I really, you know, I love those guys. It's just like. I've been listening to the effects loop a lot more than I've been listening to 60 Cycle Hum. Yeah. Sorry, guys. But uh, I'm talking about um, guys like Philip McKnight. And I'm talking about guys like, uh, um, oh, what the heck's his, uh, uh, RJ Rinkilio. He's not, um, he's got a different thing. Arrette Shawl. Um, and those guys, so the guys you're mentioning, they have YouTube channels, yep. but they belong to the professional community. Right. RJ Rinkilio, yep. Rhett Shawl. Um, I would not say that that uh, Philip McKnight belongs to that community. I would say Phil- Philip McKnight belongs to the aging rocker community. Um, yeah, I don't know. I it, it used to be that he um, was more about uh, fixing your guitar. What you know, and now it's <laughs> about I I don't know it. What I found watching any of these channels, I don't care which one, pick one. Um, if they do call-ins where they have people call in live, mm-hmm. I watch a lot of the ones that are like um, where they uh, they do like lessons and different stuff like that. Every single one of them, a good portion of their of their community of the questions, good portion is, I just bought this guitar. Tell me how great it is. That's that's their. Yeah, it's really kind of creepy. Like, here, validate me. Yeah, validate my purchase. How about you validate yourself? Go home and actually learn to play it. Right. But why are you spending an hour watching me? Um, I'm not – look, I'm not calling out anybody in our listener base. Right. I mean, you guys know who you are. Um, we are not – we have never claimed to be a gear podcast. We're a guitar podcast. Right. We talk about a lot about gear because guitar players talk a lot about gear. Um, I want to stress this first and foremost. 
It's really hard to take you seriously when you're going to talk about gear if you can't play the guitar. Right. And we have seen various people, Jim and I, mm-hmm. um, and YouTube specifically, <laughs> who talk about gear, but like they don't even have a chosen genre that they play well, um, let alone, you know, multiple genres. Um, I mean, that's not to say like, and I think that I think that's a bit of a misnomer because like if you watch Ryan Burke from Six Cycle Hum, um, you're gonna you're gonna go, oh, he's not a very good player, but he but he's look, he's a good I, player. I met the guy, I he he play, he can play surf like nobody's business, right. but he tries to play outside his genre, and then all of a sudden it kind of like it's it's more of what you're gonna hear in a guitar store kind of environment. Right. Um, nobody's expecting him to be. Uh, I'm trying to think. Um, Music is win. Tyler Larson. Yeah, I don't think Tyler Larson's that great, quite frankly. Um, I think somebody like uh, Pete Thorne would be more, okay. uh, more the higher tier that that we would talk about, or Rhett Scholl, or uh, um, oh, what's his name, uh, Tim Pierce. Yeah, Tim Pierce, another per- another perfect example. And when you've got guys like that, Tim Pierce, folks, just to put this in perspective for you, Tim Pierce has played on records you listened to. When you were a kid. I didn't even know it. <laughs> and you didn't know he was there, okay? Like, you were like, ooh, love this Stevie Wonder song. Oh, Tim Pierce played on that? Or, oh, yeah. I love this Michael Jackson song. Tim Pierce is the, the guitar player for that? Or, I love this song by so-and-so. Oh, Tim Pierce played on that? Or, um, The Squeeze. Oh, Tim Pierce played on that? What? Yeah. yeah. He played on The Squeeze? You know, you're like, uh, you know, Black Coffee in Bed, that song? Yeah. You're like, yeah. oh, Tim Pierce played on that? Oh, my God. Yeah. You know, Tim Pierce was supposed Tim to. Tim Pierce's discography is so long, you can't print it. Tim, Pier- Tim Pierce's <laughs> discography, is, is, discography is so long, Tim Pierce can't print it. Okay. No, he doesn't even. He, I'm sure he has the same experience that, um, uh, um, who's the, the, oh, Tony Levin, right. the bass player. Right. I'm sure he has the same experience that Tony Levin does. Right. Where somebody will tell him, man, you're playing on this song was so great. And, and he, he goes, goes back and he listens to it and he goes, I didn't remember playing. Yeah, that. I don't remember. Did I do that? Did I, I do that? Was that me? And uh, I love watching Tim Pierce. I love. I, I I get the feeling he's a wonderful human being. Um, but here's the the. And I'm not saying but is in but he's not. I'm saying but if you take a guy like that, right? And he he's a YouTuber. R.J. Ronquillo is a YouTuber. R.J. Ronquillo was a first call guy. You know. And you take these guys that that they're just as comfortable playing in genre A, B, or C, you know, and um, yet uh, you can't you can't con- and I don't think that by the way I don't think Ryan Burke would compare himself. So you absolutely not. It's absolutely hard to go okay because that's what that's the life we or the the community we're in right now. Tim Pierce, you'll watch a Tim Pierce video, then you'll watch a Ryan Burke video, and you'll go, oh, man, Tim Pierce's playing was much better than Ryan Burke's. Well, of course. When Ryan Burke was a baby, Tim Pierce was playing on records. Well, but there's another component to this, too, that people forget. Like, who is going to sound more like you as the player? Right. Because if you listen – like, I'm more on the Ryan Burke side of things, in my opinion. Now I know people will probably say that's not true, but and because I just you know like the dude that, at the open mic that comes with me and says you should be playing in front of ten thousand people. I'm like you're on drugs. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, uh, so he comes up. So I'm thinking I'm thinking about the fact that like, um, I would 
probably be more inclined to trust a gear review of Ryan Burke making something sound good than I would Tim Pierce because Tim Pierce can do things with like sand that would sound yeah. better than what I can do. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, well, um, yeah, I, I compare guys like Tim Pierce and um, who is it? Uh, who's the guy that plays with Anderton a lot now? Um, he's kind of taken over Chapman's spot. Um, Pete, Pete. <laughs> yeah. Are you suggesting that Chapman may be having issues, Jim? Yeah. Well, no, I'm just saying, um, Pete, where Danish I Pete, am. Danish Pete is sitting there going, yeah, I can, I can take this. Here, give me that hunk of junk. I'll make it sound good. Because even you'll see it in the videos, um, the captain will go, yeah, why don't you play this Danish Pete? Because I know you're going to make this sound good. We need to sell these things. So <clears throat> um, the Danish Pete can make that sound good. And then still turn around and go, that's not my thing. And he'll go, yeah. and then go, yeah, it's not my thing. It, you sound fantastic on it, but it's not your thing. And that's the, um, I think that's the, the point that I'm trying to make is um, where just like you were talking about, I, I play what Jim Woodard is, is, uh, <laughs> is comfortable playing. I can't play what somebody else comfortable playing because it, it wouldn't make any sense at all. None. I'm going to send you some music, Jim. You need to learn it. Okay. No, I'm kidding. I'm not going to send you some. Dude, are you kidding me? Do you know what I would do to you? I would send you something that's like impossible to play that yeah, I it, can't even play and be like, here, Jim, play this. Yeah. See, that's just it. So I've like on my lessons, you know, um, uh, the stuff I'm doing, you know, I'm trying to come out of my comfort zone um, and on purpose because I want to learn some new things. It, it, I don't think I ever want to stop learning new things. That would be that would be um, uh, stagnation and, and depression for me. So um, I think it's important, like like what uh, David just said, if you're going to hear a demo, you want to hear someone who isn't great. They've got to be good enough. You know, they got to be able to play the guitar in tune. You want them to be around your level. Right. But you don't want, you don't need it to be, you know, up here. Um, someone said on RJ's uh, um, YouTube live thing that he does every weekend, over the weekend, they said, uh, why are you playing all this boutique stuff? Play some stuff that the rest of us can afford. And I'm like, because number one, and I was thinking, I, I mean, he was very good about his response. He goes, he goes, well, that's the kind of thing they, they tend to send me. You know, I'm playing what they send me. Um, it's, it's hard. It, it, when you watch um, uh, a, one by Trogli, you know, um, yeah, where everything he gets is a collector's item. Yeah. I mean, this guy, um, I had to laugh because he said, uh, well, I, my my videos, um, the ones that get the most uh, views are the unboxings. My demo videos don't get a lot of views. And I, 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 I don't want to say anything, but um, <laughs> the. Um, you know, you might want to learn to actually record them properly. Yeah. That, would, that would help. A little bit of, I, I'd love to just go over there and help the poor guy learn how to. Not that ours are recorded any better, frankly. I listened to one of mine the other day and about cried. Yeah. <laughs> but I'd like to say, hey, you know, you could you could do a little bit with the uh, the tone that you're putting your guitars through. But anyway, my point is that everybody we're in a YouTube community right now that's that's um, I think it's reaching ahead, um, and one of the two one of two things is going to happen. Like I was try I was watching um, poor uh, DVT. Because he's trying so hard to reach two million subscribers, and he's—I think he's overdoing it. 
and it's starting to depress him. He did a he did a video last week. It was actually scary to watch how many times he mentioned how depressed he is. That's I think that that he, him trying to hit two million. I don't know if it's him or if there's an expectation from someone else, but whatever it is, he has pushed himself over an edge that that he may not be able to come back from. All right, everybody, everybody, let's let's stop and let's let's talk for a minute. So YouTube has has really screwed up a lot of people. Yeah, and I'm not talking about. Okay, it, it changes the perception of somebody who creates content. When you stop worrying about the content and you stop start worrying about the subscribers, you know that like it's messing with you. Right. It's to the point at, where you're 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 dependent on that for your income, and you have no other source of income, and you start freaking out about it, and then you get like Stevie T has been right. That's right. basically what's going on, and I think. I, I although I support having a diverse set of income streams, especially for musicians, um, I think YouTube is like the one that I would stay the farthest away from for my, myself, and and there are good reasons for that. Number one is um, the amount of mental social damage that goes on as a result of YouTube is a problem. But the other thing is it takes a freaking long time to put up content on YouTube. Yeah, I mean, we, you and I have done enough stuff that I'm like. How are people like Ryan Burke doing it? I don't I know. I mean, honestly, it's nuts. And his videos look really good. They're well produced. I know. I want to so, go to his house and ask him. I want to go to his house. Ryan Burke, when I'm in when I'm in California first. When I'm in when I'm in San Diego for Comic Con in a couple of years, I just want to call you up and say, Hey Ryan, can I come over for a minute? I see I, your I, studio. <laughs> I just want to see the studio. Like I, I want to see how, how this works. Um, um but he's not the only guy that does that either. No, no. I mean, I, so. And there's some that do thing. such a crappy job. There, I, I watch your guitar sage and he's great. He's, he's got a great studio. He's obviously been doing it a long time. Um, and then I watch another guy that does it locally with him that I actually like is the stitch method. Um, mm -hmm. But his tone is horrendous. I, I me personally, I think that. Um, yet I love the guy and I love his, uh, his videos. I think he's a great, you know, Great YouTuber, uh, got a great personality, got a great thing going, but it always mm -hmm. sounds like it's it's uh, still um, it's still 2012, and he's doing it with a first generation iPhone, <laughs> and that that's his his recording getup. Well, but that's that's my point. So, I I'm in a point right now where time has become a premium for me. Yeah, um, I spend. Um, I spend about four hours a week working on the podcast now, in addition to uh, playing out, writing music, doing the whole, you know, open jam things locally. I have old Stumpy, which I'm still a part of and going to be a part of for the foreseeable future um, until they kick me out or until it stops paying, when it, whichever happens first. Yep. <laughs> um, and there are some other musical endeavors that are on the horizon there. And I'm starting to realize, like, YouTube is, like, the least – commodified way to make money. Oh, yeah, it's terrible. And so I hear these guys putting up these YouTube channels, and I'm like, Ooh. you're out of your mind if you think you're going to make money doing that. You do it because you love it, and then if you love it long enough, you might make some money doing it. Right. You might but finally I build a base that's big enough. But when you're, when, when you're trying to put 200,000 subscribers in weeks, it's, it's just... It's utter madness. I mean, we've been on we've been on YouTube for what, like two years now? Yeah. 
and we're we have just hit like 100 subscribers yeah and we have i mean we don't have a ton of content up there but you'd think yeah with the show being what it is and everything that we would have more than we do more yeah. than we do yeah um because we know you know we know we've we're over twenty thousand listens now at this point and yep. that kind of stuff that we would we would have prospered and that's mm-hmm. my point is like if you're sitting there and you're going i'm broke i'm out of work i need employment i'm going to start making videos on youtube you're out of your mind right you are out of your mind and just Stop because it. yeah and just because your buddies are doing it doesn't mean it's a good thing well, and it doesn't mean that they have a following either. No. I mean, that's that's a whole other that's a whole other component of this. Like, um, I know several other people who produce content for YouTube, and they have like some of them have a thousand followers, some of them have two thousand followers. The people we know who have been successful at YouTube that have like you know a portion of income coming in from it, and it's probably a small portion. Um, some of them have been on the show. Like, we met them after that had already happened. And they can tell you the only reason they have the amount of followers they did is because they did one video that caught fire. Right. There's and you never know what it's going to be. And, and right. And trying to engineer that is like nigh on impossible. Yep. Um, don't kid yourself. And as a player, if you're just a player, like you don't, you're going to make gear reviews. Dude, there's a million other guys already doing it. Well, I, honestly, I didn't want to do gear reviews. We've done a couple, of, and I, I I did mine in a different way. I wanted them to be more informational than they were a review, right? Um, and I don't want to get into making the content other people are making because it's just a waste of time. Well, yeah, really, and it's, it really and, is, and you're just a whisper in the wind. Um, one of the one of the things that uh, I noticed, like um, with uh, these these gear reviews too, is neck pickup. Middle pickup, bridge pickup, tone up, tone down, volume up. Instead, volume instead down. of <laughs> instead of playing a song and using all the components of what's there, that's right. why people like Pete Thorne are getting stuff from like Sir and people. Well, he's obviously endorsed, but I mean, do you know what I mean? Like that's how those relationships happen because right. they don't make it like they don't make it a show of hey, let's show you what it sounds like when I do this. Right. You don't need that. What you need to do is what it, so- it sounds like the whole like overall picture. And, that's, and, and I, the other component is like if you're going to play a Telecaster, and this Telecast, let's say, let's say, oh, perfect example, I'm going to do a demo for for the Johnny Hilland uh, Kiesel, right? right? Right. I'm not going to play Hendrix riffs on a yeah. Johnny <laughs> Hilland Kiesel, like that. That that's another thing that drives me crazy. Was I see like people going to demo a Gretsch and they're playing like Gent? Yeah. You're like, what the? What the hell are you doing? Yeah, <laughs> like, good idea. That was that was perfect. I'm sure. And then you get in the comments. That guitar sounds like ass. Like no, yeah. no shit. <laughs> you think? <laughs> I um, that's what I tried to do. What you're talking about is what I tried to do when it came to the uh, the Telecaster. I just played a song. I played it. I built a riff uh, or a um, chord progression. I played over that chord progression in different positions and different ways. But I never said, "Here's the neck." You know, strum, strum, strum. Here's the bridge. Well, I, and I've done that. I did that in the last. I did that in the strap pickup demo. Yeah, yeah. And I and, and I saw how it was boring. Dumb. That was. It was dumb. I shouldn't have done it. Not that you, not the one you did. I, I'm not calling oh, yours boring. I, I'm just saying no, mine no, was. You boring. don't. You don't have to worry about insulting me because I'm insulting myself. It was boring. I didn't like it. Mine was boring. Um, I think the production value of the video was a lot better, but I didn't like. Uh, I just thought like it didn't really, I mean, it did show off the pickups and that's so primary focus achieved, but I felt like it wasn't engaging and 
that's that's the biggest challenge I have is like making a game. So these these are all things why why I brought this up. Right. Don't think that YouTube is gonna is gonna make you a bunch of money. And uh, as far as the um, marketing to YouTube, they're they're using YouTube as a marketing tool. Right. I, I, and and I don't think that they're actually trying to market to the people on YouTube, like actively producing content. No. They're trying to market to the people who watch YouTube, who are guitarists just like you and me. Right. That's so, absolutely right. Um, and the, it's and, just it's just a marketing vehicle. Right. Um. And I, and I want to say this uh, because it it came up earlier in my head and I, I kind of missed it. Is is this? If you're going to be a speaker on YouTube or like what we're doing right now. This is not as easy as it looks. And you have to remember that that what you say, um, yeah. the, yes, in today's social the social market and um, the world view, um, the last thing you want is to create something that that you could you could wind up getting doxxed for the silliest thing. I mean, look what happened with uh, with the guy with Chapman, right? Or I'm could, super cognizant when we're on the air. I have a big mouth. You guys have heard me say some stuff that's like, huh? Um, we have had to edit out words. Yep. We have had to edit out whole phrase because not because it, it was really that offensive, but because we knew that certain social classes of people would be offended by it. Right. And that was not the intention of what we said. Right. And we don't want to leave people with the wrong intention. And that's, one of the hardest things to do in life that you're going to, you're going to do is social uh, or, or speaking publicly. Um, and it's tougher now than it's ever been. And so yeah. I don't, I don't want you to think, you know, there was this, there was this guy recently, the guitologist, is that who it was who, who got his, his uh, YouTube channel stolen? Oh, I, I'm so glad. No, 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 no. Yeah. I, I could care less. I didn't say it out loud. I wish him the best in his garbage I, yeah, I, I, Yeah, he's the guy that was the, the dumpster diver, dumpster right? Dumpster diver, yeah. yeah. He put the scuba gear on and went in the went in the, the uh, yeah. turd holder to get, you know, regardless, a yeah, less fallout. Regardless of what I or you think of his content, which I don't think that much of it, that's that's beside the point. I don't, I don't think that much of The Bachelor or The Bachelorette. Hey, there's a bunch of the fans. Yeah, a lot of people um, apparently like that stuff, too. No, I'm not going to say anything. Um, this is uh, Jerry's final thought right here. That's right. But, um, you know, something to, to put this to bed with is he's trying to rebuild his audience, right? And he had a boatload of subscribers. Here's what, here's what subscribers means. Nothing. Subscribers no, don't mean word. anything. It's don't the they, views. Uh, we have... If we you have, have a certain amount of subscribers. They actually do compensate you a little bit. Yeah, they I compensate, think, but, it's, but it's like but you have to have over a million subscribers to get any sort of money. It's ridiculous, honestly, folks. It's it's totally ridiculous to look at those numbers. I'll look at a, a subscriber base of a channel. Let's say uh, something other than Joe Rogan. He's one of the few who you can say. Okay, pretty much hits the subscribers. He hits the views almost equal to subscribers. But you take somebody like um, uh, one of our channels. I don't care if it's Pete Thorne or um, Six Cycle yeah. Hawk. They're getting ten percent of their. That's a good week. He's watching it. Yeah, yeah. on a, on a good week. Yeah. Um, and yet we get because we have so few subscribers. <laughs> it's easy for us to get more than a hundred percent. 
Everything's going to change, though. Everything is going to change. Everything we're talking about in this episode right now dependent depends largely upon what happens with COVID-19 this year. If, right. And let me explain. So if this ends up being a disaster for the gear industry that I think it could be, um, in that transportation costs are going to go up, uh, yeah. employment costs are going to be an issue, they may not have any uh, companies to ship them to, et cetera, um, depending on how they uh, how the CDC says we should be handling this and how many companies take advantage of it. Um, you could see a situation where all of the advertising money on YouTube just dries up like that a for, ton for of guitar. Here's and the other not side of it. Shipping out new gear to people, they're not doing any of that stuff. Here's the other side of it. And this is the scary side, folks. When markets go down, people need their money to do other things. The 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 channels that live, and a lot of them do, by the way, because YouTube YouTube money already dries up. The channels that live on their Patreon, that's that's going to be where it hits them the hardest. Yeah, because people are, don't even realize that that money's going to dry up. I mean, yeah, because uh, that one or two dollars they thought was unimportant before. Yeah, it becomes important. Very now quick. it now it's feeding the kids. They're putting even even as sad as it sounds, putting ramen you know ramen noodles on the table for the for dinner. I mean, yeah. that's the reality we could be looking at. That's how hard hitting our our next. And if you think that that the next election isn't going to have a um, a, a huge impact on this. There's a lot of people afraid for the economy right now. That yeah, they're holding on to their money, that, right? Yep. So that's another that's another critical component of all this is if this all if it all blows over or if it does continue to be a thing for a couple months, um, you may have a situation where all of a sudden there's this explosion in spending too. Yeah. When it all ends, and I'll tell you what I'm. Uh, I'm like I'm starting to put away money for Gear Fest this year, but I'm kind of thinking like putting away money and then wait to see what happens to the guitar market long term. Because if if I've got a little bit of extra spending money, because I'll be pretty well insulated in this, I, I could potentially like clean up. I mean, yeah. that's I know it's a terrible way to look at the situation, but somebody's got to profit. Somebody's got to do it. <laughs> um, somebody's got to make money. Uh, let me say this. It's um, an awful thing for me to say. And like, I'm feeling, I'm feeling know, really right? dirty about saying it. <laughs> like I feel dirty. I need to go take a shower. Yeah. I got to wash myself. Um, no, speaking of that, I, I, it sounds a little weird, but, um, speaking of that on a, on a sincere note right now in, in, um, some areas can't get your hands on like, um, uh, what do you call it? Soap, the waterless soap. Yeah, the antibacterial hand gels. Yeah, hand sanitizer. Can't find it. Yep, it's it's drying up in a literal sense because. Okay. Yeah. Well, everybody. Thought, so here, here's the take on that, right? It's good. This is what I'm talking about in the guitar community. The reason that it actually disappeared was not because people were panic buying. It disappeared because people panic, not even panic bought. They invested. They bought bought it by the carton because yeah. they're gonna pl they're planning on profiting. Yeah, and that's why you can find hand sanitizer on Amazon right now for two hundred dollars a bottle. And that and that's um, another thing that's starting to dry up, folks. Um, if you get your hands on them, <laughs> uh, is um, those uh, face masks, the uh, dust masks. Yeah, which yeah. Are, which do make it five times more effective if you get to fight it off. But 
realistically. Um, I don't think this this lasts longer than June. Uh, I think Gearfest is going to go on without a hitch. Um, I think we're going to see not a decline in cases, but it's going to level off very very quickly because I think yeah. people are already starting to be more proactive about how they're. I went to Target this week. I live in a populated area. I live in I live in Chicago. I went into Target. I have never seen people running in Target before, and it was like liter- It was the weirdest thing because it was like people were there and they were buying. But they were like running through the store. They're trying to get out of there as fast as they could. Yeah. And I think we're going to see that for a while. Yep. So. And that can that can affect concerts. That can affect all kinds yeah, of good stuff. It already is. I mean, they're canceling stuff right and left. So um, take it. Take it. Um, we have a we have a um, a hand sanitizer at every single uh, station at work now for the customers. I don't think hand sanitizer is the answer i know but i'm just saying that it gives it gives people i'm not, comfort. I'm not gonna play it's like a comfort food you know what i mean i i agree I'm with not, you i'm not gonna turn this into a virology podcast. chemically chemically and, <laughs> and biologically someone, that ain't doing if somebody wants to have a conversation with me about this i can share my knowledge put your hand in bleach <laughs> I took uh, a lot of genetic science and we studied a lot of different viruses and things like that when I was in college. And I can explain to you why I think we actually looked at virology too. We looked at like populations and mutations, stuff like that. And I can tell you why I don't think those things are going to work, but that's not, that's a long, like complicated issue. And it's something that I would, I think would be better suited to have a in-person explanation discussion. Um, Yeah. But, but I'm more concerned. I'm not, I told you I'm sick. I got, I got long-term medical issues Yeah, yeah. and I don't, I'm not concerned about COVID-19 affecting me. I have family members. I'm concerned about it affecting, but not yep, me. Same here. So, oh, yeah. so um, anyway, with that, all right, uh, I have been David. I've been Jim. And tonight one of us is a practical guitarist. And the other one is washing his hands with Sam, hand, Santa, hand sanitizer. It's hand sanitizer. Hand sanitizer. Sand sanitizer, folks. Sand sanitizer. Sand sanitizer. It's it's that new one. It uses sand. <laughs> I think that's the name of the episode, Jim. Sand sanitizer. Sand sanitizer. <laughs>